the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast for a place to find ways to help your baseball program create better men from a mind standpoint, a character standpoint, as well as creating better ball players from a physical standpoint. Because when we marry those two things together, you have a special player. Today's guest conversation I was able to have is with Wes Brooks. Wes is the current high school coach at Oxford High School in Oxford, Alabama. He's been a head coach there for 16 years. It's his 21st year in baseball. Um, he started his alma mater at Walburn and um, became head coach there in his second year after a successful uh, career with Jackson State, Jacksonville State, excuse me. And uh, he's also helps out with the USA baseball staff. He is, and it's where I met him, through Brian Kane. So he's one of Brian Kane's mental performance masters. That's how I got to meet Wes and uh, at a gathering that we have for Brian Kane. And he uses his, his, his content and stuff like that as well. And um, you know, Wes is just an absolute stud. He's just an absolute stud, rock star of a guy. Well, so willing to share. We've talked for till wee hours in the night and um, had many conversations. And Wes is always, again, just showing how great the baseball fraternity is because he's such a great sharer and um, very transparent in his program and does anything he can to help. So if you're uh, after this, I'm sure you might want to reach out to him. He's always willing to share some things because uh, he just kind of scratches the surface of some stuff that he, he does. So if you want to reach out to him, you can see him on Twitter at Old Gold Sports. Twitter, again, his handle is at Old Gold Sports. His email is wbrooksoh at gmail.com. Just a couple things getting into it. You know, thinking about what you're going to hear, you're going to hear him really just kind of start with where he's at right now and how they kind of go through the program up until the winter. We didn't get really what he did this spring. We, we talk some things about that. Um, but she really dives into some details about what they're doing now and what they typically do in the summer and how they manage their weight room and their workouts and then come fall time, what they do right there when they come back to school and, um, you know, just trying to have their balance everything right now with the quarantine and, you know, the limited space and number of people you can have around uh, and how just he's making adjustments and adapting to those things to still help his kids out. So... You'll hear a lot of those things. It's just that it definitely is something that we might we have thought we've talked about is maybe having another one where we kind of go from the winter all the way then to the start of summer, the end of spring. Touch base about that, um, you know, because I'm sure we'll talk many a times here before uh, we do another one. Just I like to sometimes run things off of him, and and um, so it's really nice to have Wes and be able to talk to him. But um, hope that you enjoy it. So there's some good value in it. I think I'm pretty sure there is. I know my notes from this program, even after talking to Wes a handful of times, is still pretty full. Uh, so without further ado, this is Wes Brooks, Oxford High School, Oxford, Alabama, USA Baseball, and just an absolute great guy, great coach. So your high schools get to, like, so once you're finished your high school season, you'll still try out right before you guys, like right after graduation? All right, so... We have that option, and this year was different because um, 
because of the virus and everything. And we have that option. Usually I do tryouts in November. So the guys that work out with me during the summer are guys who were on the team in the spring. And, um, and then we'll have another tryout in November uh, for the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, you know, usually we will go fairly deep in the playoffs. And then our football and basketball team has spring training right after our season's over. And then you have graduation. So I usually don't have any time to squeeze a tryout in uh, before summer starts. And then once actually summer starts, then everybody's gone their own separate ways. And in our state, we legally can't try out guys during the summer. Oh, really? Um, uh, we have to wait until school starts and we get a five day window to, to do tryouts. So, hmm. so how do you do like with like, I mean, like, no, I guess the kids know right away if they're going to come back or not and play. I'm sure. You don't have an issue with that. So say that again now. Like, like, uh, if a guy would to say like, he's not coming back, you know, like, have you like n- normally, no, I mean, heck you hard. We hardly ever get that type of guy. Yeah. Um, we hardly ever get that type of guy, but if we do, uh, I have the exit meetings. And I don't like to call them exit meetings because they're still in the program. But um, we hardly do get a guy. But if there's a guy that's kind of maybe didn't get a, a lot of playing time and it's kind of discouraged as a junior and going to be a senior, they'll come meet with me. And, and you know, like, if, if if you're not interested in playing, you probably wouldn't want to go through the summer workouts. But okay. um, so they usually would meet with me before um, our first workout day. So – um, but usually you don't have that happen. Usually guys that are on the team, you know, it's, hey, now I'm a senior, now it's my shot, or, you know, stuff like that. So, so. Okay. Well, that's cool. So, yeah, you'll just do workouts during the summer? Yeah, we'll do workouts uh, during the summer. Um, so, so season's over. Um, exit meetings, I, I just call them player-parent meetings. Uh, I, I, got a, I got a few, you know, a friends of a few guys that were, the Necton group. Um, and, and man, we just make each other better. They give me some ideas and a lot of stuff, you know, I don't think anything that I teach now is something that, that I came up with, uh, uh, or maybe if I did come up with it, it's, it's got a version of somebody else in it, whether it's, uh, Clemson, Auburn, Ron Polk, uh, Leggett, um, you know, any of the high, my high school buddies, the coach, you know, you know, are always trying to get better. And I think that's one thing about, about a good coach, you know, is willing to still continue to be a lifelong learner and grow and get better and learn things from other people and and always just sit back. And, and I learned this from another good friend of mine, Butch, uh, you know, you, you just sit back and take it all in and 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 don't be the center of attention. Don't sit out and, you know, it's good, like, you know, if you have a belief of, of how to do some things. But, you know, how I do stuff at my high school might – might not work at your high school, you know, but because it's my high school and I know the environment, I know my kids, I know our culture. And, and then it might not just work at your school, but a version of it might work at your school. So I think that's, that's the cool thing about the baseball fraternity is, uh, sorry about that. Cool thing about the baseball fraternity is like, you know, I used to be a football coach and I coached football from, from 2000 until 2013. And um, when I go to these national football conventions, everybody's whispering and telling their secrets in the corner of how to stop the wing tee. And right. you, know, you go to a baseball convention, everybody's loud and sharing their stuff of what they know and making each other better. And I think it has a lot to do with we just want to grow the game. Um, you know, if you do things the right way, the wins and losses are going to always get there. But we just, you know, we just want to grow the game. So, um, so I don't call them exit meetings. I call them player parent meetings. So with uh, with uh, COVID nineteen, we did a, a Zoom, uh, an individual Zoom, 
with each player and their parent. And so we went over there. I, I give player evaluation cards uh, to each coach. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they evaluate them zero to five, zero being a, a low score, obviously, and then five being the best. And we go through, you know, teammate, character. Then we go through defensive ability, offensive ability, uh, arm strength, uh, you know, weight room, just whatever we can do, teammates. And just, just each coach evaluates you. And then you get an individual score. And then you get a rank in the team score. And uh, then you get a, a score on a certain thing, you know. So, like, you might not – have great offensive ability and defensive ability, but your ability to be a great teammate's a five and your character's a five. And, you know, so that's an area, that's something that you bring to the table that helps us, you know, uh, win a championship each day as opposed to, you know, we, we all want to win championships, but, you know, it's just all about just winning the day. And, you know, when, when you got guys that are being great teammates, you know, and then you got some guys that have, you know, maybe, you know, we all want everybody to have a great attitude, but that's not always the case. But, you know, he might bring something to the table and, uh, you know, and then we try to look at that score and raise it. So I, t I read out those scores, and each coach has a comment about each kid, and I read out those comments. Sometimes some of these in, uh, assistant coaches are joining in the call with me. Uh, when, when we didn't have the Zoom calls and we could meet in person, they'd be sitting right beside me like the hitting coach would sit in on our top 12 to 15 hitters and kind of talk about the growth that's going to happen over the summer. Or our pitching coach might sit in and say, hey, we're going to try to – uh, design a, a slider or a cutter or something this summer on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, you know, so, and, and I think it's a really good time to include the parent, you know, as coaches, all, a lot of the times when, when parents hear from us, we're asking for something or asking for money, you know, we're wanting them to work the concession center. We're wanting to do some fundraiser. Um, I just think it's a good time for the coach, uh, and the parent and the player to kind of communicate and clear up some things and all be on the same page. Because if you just meet with a parent, I mean, if you just meet with the player, he might go tell one or two things. He might tell his mom and dad what he thinks his mom and dad wants to hear and how to twist what I said. And then now I'll get another conversation started there with the parent. So if they're there, at least the parent can ask some questions. Uh, you know, if, whether it's about, uh, outlook on colleges, a best fit for them, or, you know, summer ball or all season workouts, or, you know, maybe if they're getting discouraged, because, you know, like, a, I, and I learned this over the years, you know, before I would say, hey, you know, you're not going to talk about playing time. And, and you know, we, we, we have a, a meeting in January, and we say, you know, this, these are things we, we will talk about, we won't talk about, and we will talk about how your son can improve himself in order to increase his chances of more playing time, but we'll not talk about playing time. And we say that, but I give that parent to, you know, um, ask uh, in depth of what's, you know, because that player on your team, that the, the last player on your team, whoever it is, he's got to have some hope. Sure. You know, there's got to be some hope there, whether I'm going to be a pinch runner and I'm going to score from first on a double and a gap and or go from first to third or, or I'm going to be a relief pitcher or I'm going to be the defense, whatever, you know, or. Or it looks like I'm going to play every other game because I'm, I'm me and the other catcher is pretty good. And so if a guy has hope, they tend to have a little bit more buy-in. So um, over the last couple of years, I've kind of went with a more so early lineup as far as let's get everybody in and see what they can do. And I've been surprised at a few guys. We had a freshman this year that did not dress with us opening week with varsity. Um, he was just a bullpen catcher uh, in a lot of our practices. 
And, you know, we started seeing a little bit of growth in him. And, of course, nobody knew it was going to be our last two games. But he ended up starting on Varsity's our last two games. And, and I think uh, just giving him a little bit of hope in our county tournament when he dressed and, you know, was a bullpen guy or maybe – uh, we had a home game when our JV wasn't playing and we asked him to dress up. He ended up catching like the sixth and seventh inning of a game that we had control of. And we saw some things and like, Hey, you know, he, he might can get it done. Let's, let's, let's put him behind the plate with our number one on the mound and see what he can do with the H for him. And man, it just worked out for the better. So, so we talk about uh, those things in that player parent meeting um, about, uh, um, what we expect out of them next year. And for our ninth graders, they're, they're incoming, you know, they're followers, but they're also leaders themselves, no matter who you are, you're an influence. So when we talk to the freshmen, we talk to them about uh, being the babies. They're going to be asking a ton of questions and they should be. Um, our, our 10th and 11th graders are going to be, you know, kind of the guys that are, that are say, Hey, we're doing this because, you know, they're going to be the guys that, that say, okay, Coach Brooks said go out and long toss. Well, the 10th and 11th graders are going to explain to that freshman, we're long tossing two or three days a week because of this. Our, our seniors, our older guys, it's been in the program a long time, and it doesn't just have to be a senior, but those are the guys that when, when coaches say something, they're the first ones to dive in and get, get in there and do it and say, hey, I'm going to go first. So if we're hitting VLO today and the pitching machine's on 92, and everybody's kind of intimidated. You know, that freshman's a little scared, like I've never seen 92 before. But that senior says, Coach, I want to get in there first. And then the the, the middle guys, the emerging leaders, the, the soon-to-be, you know, leaders are, are kind of telling those young guys of, you know, we're going to see VLO about twice. We're going to see, you know, upper 80s, low 90s about twice a week this year. So Coach is just getting us ready. He wants to see, you know. So – um, and then, but those 10th graders last year were asking a bunch of questions. So that's kind of how I go into like what to expect. And I tell those freshmen and the parents to make sure you ask questions because you'll definitely get overwhelmed uh, if you don't ask questions and you just do, and you like a sophomore might still be doing something wrong and that freshman follow him and do it wrong again. But so if that freshman like, Hey, I don't really understand why we're stepping with our right foot first here. Uh, and, and as a coach, you know, it's our job to explain it because the intelligence of the high school kid that we get these days are they want to know. Um, and if we can tell – I'm sorry. If we can tell them the why, I think they'll go the extra mile. And then, and then the kid himself, if he understands his why, he'll, he'll, he'll find a way how. Um, so those, those meetings are very precious. It takes a long time. I, I think there was – a week and a half there to where I was doing five to seven Zoom calls a day. Obviously, for me, for Zoom calls like this and podcasts like this, for me to grow myself, uh, there's some that I was the moderator for, for other college coaches and high school coaches. And then there's some – oh, sorry about that. Okay. And then there's some that um, that I had to lead, uh, you know, for my players and my, my assistant coaches um, for us to kind of – sorry about all these noise things. I don't know how to cut all this stuff off. Um, so there's about a week and a half that, you know, I, I get at nine o'clock at night and I would be on, on a zoom call with, with, with some of my buddies and, and, and I tell them it's my seventh one of the day and they're like, what are you, you know, and it's their first, you know, they're all fired up and ready. You know, it's my seventh and I'm just listening. Um, so it, it takes a long time, even when we don't do the zoom calls, it still takes a while to schedule, but it needs to be done. And, you know, you think about a high school kid and, and college kids, you know, that's, that's the time to where they're thinking the grass might be greener somewhere else, you know, 
And uh, we definitely, we definitely don't give anything here at Oxford High School. We make them earn everything. But a lot of time, kids needs to know the expectation and the outlook, and and uh, you know what we foresee him doing and accomplishing next year, and you know, and just kind of getting that uh, that that good talk from the coach about hey, going into next year, or if we started the day, you would be at second base or right field or whatever, and they need to hear those things coming from coach because if they didn't get maybe all the playing time that they wanted or maybe things didn't go the way, the way they went, they need to hear from the head coach, uh, you know, Hey, this is the outlook and, and I'm going to give you the first opportunity you put in your two years worth of work and, you know, with the development. So this summer, so, so we have all those meetings and, and those go great all the time. It's really, whether it's a good meeting or bad meeting, it, it's just good to have. And really some of the bad meetings that I've had, like maybe a parent, you know, there, maybe there's some confrontation going on in some of these meetings, usually uh, those end up being my best supporters the next year Wow! because we're able to talk things out and they understand my why uh, of why maybe I do some things or did some things as opposed to maybe they thought some other uh, things that, you know, that parents think of, you know, yeah, so. Misconceptions. And then, so, um, so we'll start our workouts. And so here's how our workouts go. And, and I like the way we do our workouts, you know, we do, we do three weeks in June and three weeks in July, um, uh, Monday through Thursday. Friday is a stud day. You know, we say, you know, if you come on Friday, you're a stud. It's like a non-mandatory day. We'll usually have around 15 guys to show up. But on Monday morning, it it's, starts at 7.30. I had a meeting with my seniors two days ago, the rising seniors. And, you know, you have that speech. You, know, you got to begin with an end in mind and everything that you do. And, and Monday is our first opportunity. And, um, it's, it's, you guys have to set the standard on day one, you got to set the standard, you know? So, so during our season, we have some, some pretty high expectations of our baseball guys. So whether it's look, looking neat and clean on your face and your hair and, and wearing your hat straight and tucking your shirt tails in and, and, and just a bunch of expectations that we have, you know, I don't necessarily call them rules. I just call them, you know, standards and principles. And if they roll in the first day, and that freshman sees a guy, you know, that, that's not living up to the standard of what he's heard about in our program, then it just kind of like, ah, well, if he's if that senior. So I had that speak about, you know, hey, don't be rolling in here at 728 because we're already going to be started. Right. Um, you guys don't get here past 715, you know, and I want those young guys when they get out of the car to be sprinting onto the track and getting in there. And I want them to think they're, they're later. I want them to have a sense of urgency. They're like, hey, this is it's a pretty big deal. These guys don't mess around. Not – not at least 7.37 and I'm looking at my watch saying, okay, we're going to wait two more minutes to see who all shows up, you know. Um, starting back in 05 was a, was a morning workout thing. Actually, I can remember starting some workouts at 5.45. Um, this year, the way football and the way the, the social distancing and all the guidelines that we have to follow, it, it's going to work out good for us to go from 7.30 till about 9.30. Um, just because they were not cramped in there. Usually, you know, we would start much earlier if it was back to where we could get about 100 guys in the weight room before. Mm. But now, you know, we need to separate it out. So so I just kind of met with them and told them the expectations, told them the outcome. And, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and again, I learned this from our little Necton group um, that, that that we talk every single day. We carry on conversations every single day with these guys. That they're just making me a much better coach, a better man, a better husband, a father and a boss. And, um, you know, so our, our, our really pillars, we have three pillars, you know, faith, family, and fun. And I, I talked to our guys about that. And, uh, 
you know, I did something uh, the other day uh, with our booster club. You know, we, we bought, um, we purchased eight Bibles wow. and uh, put, put their uh, names on the front of the Bible and, and uh, going to write a note on the inside cover. And, and my, my prayer, my wish, my hope is that 20 years from now, they still have that same one. And they're still, they're telling the story of when they got it to their son or their team that they're coaching. And, you know, I just think it's something to do to start off the new year. And, and, and I think no matter if you're doing catching drills, pitching, hitting, you got to have some sort of foundation to build off of. And if you don't have that foundation, you're going to crumble. Um, so I just think it, it's, it's important that we start off with our foundation of faith and family. You know, any team that can, that can have that team chemistry, that everybody cares about everybody. And, and there's about three teams or three of my coaching friends that I've talked to. And, um, and two out of those three guys, you know, did what I just did. You know, that's kind of how they start the year. Or, the, or they finish the year. Maybe at their end-of-the-year banquet, they'll, you know, do something like that. Uh, or, or, you know, like the book Legacy or From Good to Great. They'll just buy them a book. And, but, you know, this year, I mean, that's uh, just kind of our deal. You know, it's, it's foundation is our faith and family and fun. And so um, team chemistry tends, you know, culture is the buzzword these days, but I think it's more about, um, you know, having that good team chemistry. Um, and, and I think, I think I've went about culture the wrong way, you know, about five years ago, culture is that word that you know, everybody's talking about, but everybody's, you know, everybody's culture is different. My way of doing things is different than you. And if a new coach came in here or if I went somewhere, it's just be different. But at the same time, that culture has a heartbeat. And, and that and that cult and a heart and a heart is a muscle. And if you work on it, it gets stronger. And and I think that's that's your environment that you, you're in. If you talk about the what the Oxford way and we talk about that daily, if we talk about the Oxford way, whether it's how you treat females or picking up trash in the parking lot or um, just just being a, a good steward in the community or, or, you know, just how you act in the classroom. We talk about those things daily. That heartbeat gets stronger. Um, and, and again, same way with exercise. If you exercise daily, that heart gets stronger. If you don't exercise, the heart gets weaker. And if we don't exercise um, conversations at practice, pre-practice, in the classroom, in the weight room, if, I, if Coach Brooks or none of our coaches talk about what's going on with our team chemistry on a daily basis, you give it about three days and something's gonna happen uh, and that you're gonna have to handle that if you were talking about that and you had things off on the front end, um, I think you can like maybe, and, and to me, like when, when a kid messes up, everybody's gonna mess up. But if you got a lot of kids messing up and doing something that they got in trouble for, those that's time away that you're having to handle as a head coach that you could be working on first and third defense, punt covers, tandem relays or whatever. Um, so if you can kind of talk about these things and they actually come up, and especially if you keep current, like what we're going through now, you know, that more so now was a big contributor of, you know, um, we need prayer right now. Our country needs prayer and we need to be as, as players, as athletes, we need to be the players to, to go out there and change the way we look at life and, you know, by the way we play and by the way we treat each other, you know, the athletic arena um, is made up of guys uh, that come from all different places um, that, that, that we might be a different color, but, and that we might uh, have different beliefs, but we're all come together for a common goal. We have to be here on time. 
we have to work hard. Um, you know, we have to hold each other accountable and that's life. And I think athlete, you know, and that's why athletes are such prepared for the workforce. When we go out and try to get a job, we are, we, we, if you played on an athletic team, you had to be there on time. Absolutely. You know, there are certain expectations and standards. Like, you know, when I first started teaching, you know, I had to wear a tie every day because I taught health in the classroom and I didn't really like it, but I had to, I had to do it because that was the expectation and said, you know, so, and then if you come, if you come, if you're not involved in an athletic program, you might think wearing a tie is crazy. And if you don't wear a tie, then you don't have a job. So I think our athletes are ready to go out and experience life more so than, than any group out there, just because we've had to kind of learn to love each other, you know, sure. and, and that, that's kind of what our country needs. This moment is, is love. And so, and then, and then the fun part, I think, uh, and, and my, my assistant coaches do a good job of this because sometimes, and, and I, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay that the head coach is, you know, everybody's kind of low, you know, a little bit straighter. They walk a little bit straight line when the head coach is in, but my assistant coaches do a good job of, you know, kind of keeping things fun. And they've kind of influenced me uh, to be uh, fun at times. So that's kind of, I went over our pillars and then of course our, our principles and our, and our, our values um, and our standards, you know, our accountability, intensity, uh, toughness, commitment, and discipline. And, and if, and if with that, and, but we, we can't forget about faith, family, and fun. You know, we're always thinking about that. And then, you know, the so intensity. Is that more part. like your mission? Is that what you're like? Yeah. Like your mission well, you know, I, I, I guess our, I've had a mission before and it's been way too long and trying to memorize it, but we're definitely going to kind of shorten it up and we're going to keep those things uh, standard for four straight years. Whereas before we've changed them every year based upon a different set of, of seniors that we got and different and maybe different assistant coaches we get in. But now we've decided that we're going to keep the same standards, the same mission and the same vision for four straight years. Because you think about it, as a freshman, I come in and I'm learning these, this mission and, and we've got a vision and we've got standards and core values to go by. And then I'm a junior and they're all different. Then it's tough to kind of continue to, you know, and, and, and I will say it's kind of like technology, the iPhone, it's going to be an iPhone 20 in two years and everything we're learning about on technology is going to be different. But I think it's important for the high school kid to have some stability in the program to where, okay, it's going to be like this for four years. And maybe I'm a freshman in year two of those four years and knowing that it's, you know, and maybe we maybe if things are going great, we don't change a lot of those expectations and core values. But, you know, as a coach, I think it's important that we keep up with the lifestyle and society and the change of, you know, the, the new buzzword now is old school and new school, but old school still works now. Old school still works. Whatever works for um, you. So, yeah. So, the, and that's the thing about coaching is finding out what works and, uh, and it's hard to sometimes because I was an old school. I was taught by two old school coaches. And when I first started coaching, I was old school. And, and then one of those guys, Hey, you're going to do it this way because that's the way it's always been done. But now I'm like willing to, to, to give our catchers an old school and new school in a hybrid way. And I'm going to teach all those. I'm going to go back to the foundation word and we're going to have a foundation of being on two feet and we're going to master that foundation. And then we're going to move on to maybe putting our left knee down, or maybe even if that ball takes us to the ground, which is what I call a hybrid position where a guys on two feet and that curve bar slider's going down and that left foot takes us down. And then there's going to be some times we're going to start with our left knee on the ground. And I think there's a time and place for the right knee to be on the ground. And although I'm not a big fan of that, but I think on certain times to get certain pitches and to be out of the way of the umpire, 
we will put that right knee on the ground. But I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll go yeah, back to – you're talking some catching now, man. Heck, yeah, yeah. man. We're getting some catching stuff. So uh, so I'll go back. So that, that was our meeting. So all of our seniors met. So we had, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and just kind of told them, you know, what we can accomplish if everybody comes together. And, and you know, the old Dabo Sweeney telescope – uh, win in the natty and then microscope what are we going to do on day one to help us win that natty and, and mm-hmm. the same thing day two and day three and, and day four and so um so we're, we're fired up about working out on monday so on monday we'll get here at 7 30 we'll do uh speed work and agility and during that speed work and agility we've also got some core stuff that we'll do we got some hip mobility stuff we'll do and i think that's very important i think back and, and back probably in the eighties and nineties, it was the Nebraska football, bigger, faster, stronger. And, and again, I'm talking football terms because I was a football coach when I first started the end and a baseball coach at the same time. Now I just, now I just coach baseball, but I'm also the director of football operations. And that's another story we'll get into later that um, <laughs> just I, my girl started growing up and getting involved in things. And because I was busy every day, 365 days a year, I just, I had to, I had to give up one. Mm-hmm. but but they created a position for me uh, a football operations job that kind of kept me in the loop and and in the know of what's going on and, and that way if a coach is absent I can fill in I can still put in game film for them I can still help run the scout team if they need me game day setup is probably a big deal in our city and you know getting out there and making the field look nice and, and just helping out a coach wherever needed um um, it's cool, but also it's also cool to sit back and relax on the yeah. sideline too, you know, and, and be able to go and sit in the stands with my daughter and see my right. daughter cheer and stuff like that. So, um, so and and in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties, early two thousands, uh, Urban Meyer and and Florida football, you know, kind of introduced how important speed was and 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 you needed speed on the field to run the spread offense now you need speed on the defensive side of the ball and i think i think our football coaches of course our football team won state championship last year our football team has done a great job the last five years of putting all that speed on defense but it starts on the first day of summer workouts and i've got my plan of what i want to do speed and agility and core and hips and stuff and Doggone, if I didn't go there Monday, they started June 1st, and they were doing almost the same stuff that I've got planned for our baseball guys, which is cool that yeah. you know, we all kind of come from the same mode. And we communicate of what works, and and there's some different things that work in football as far as off-season stuff and, and in baseball too. But I thought it was cool that that some of the things that I was doing, they were already doing in, in their warm-up. So from 7.30 to 8, we've got our mobility, flexibility, you know, uh, core, um, speed, and agility. Uh, going on for about 23 minutes and then the last seven minutes I'm going to do a base running install each day Monday through Thursday so at the end of the six weeks I'm hoping that that our guys will know everything that we do mm-hmm. on the base pass you know someday when it's some days when it's raining we'll just go inside and go all go over all of our verbals that we're going to have like during a squeeze opportunity or during a green light steal or or stuff like that so that you know and that's again that's just being clear and get bringing that clarity uh, to the room, and, and everybody's you know can communicate, and they we all understand things too. The negative thing on that is sometimes maybe I got three baseball coaches that are also football coaches, and they don't always get to hear that. And so in the in the fall after football season or in the winter after football season, um, the, some of those coaches are still having some questions about our verbal. But so we'll do a base running install, and. After that, uh, so we'll have to bring our cleats too because we'll start out on the track with our tennis shoes and then we'll go with our cleats 
on the field and then we'll take our cleats off and put, and, and I'll have to meet on Monday on June 8th. I'll have about a 30 minute meeting about our social distancing guidelines and what we have to do. Right. Um, when we're indoors, when we're outdoors and mask and sand, you know, and disinfecting stuff and, you know, six feet apart and all that, but just talking normal situation. So we'll go in the weight room. Um, since 2014, uh, we've, we did some Louis Simmons stuff, uh, uh, some speed, strength, strength, speed, resistance, um, max efforts. Uh, you know, like, uh, if, if you're doing a bench press and you got 300 pounds on there and you, and, and you push it off the chest and it takes you about eight seconds to get it all the way up. Really, you're trying to push that as fast as you can off your chest, but because of how much weight it is, it's going about, it's going to take you about eight seconds. So, um, speed also has a lot to do with overall strength. Um, so we got two days of, of speed work that we do everything in the weight room as fast as we can do it with about 50% of your max. And we add resistance bands to that with our squat rack, our bench rack, our, you know, deadlift rack. Um, and then we'll add some weight on top of that. So we'll, we might do nine sets of three, um, to where we're doing those three reps as fast as we can do it. Because in baseball, you're trying to move a light object really, really fast you know, a 30 ounce bat or a five ounce baseball. You're trying to move that really fast. So always doing heavy weight is not always the right answer. It's a good foundation. Overall strength to me is the foundation uh, of a great um, athlete as far as what to do in the weight room. But also speed has a lot to do in that. And today with, with every position that you can imagine and explosiveness at, uh, on the mound and at the plate, uh, speed has a lot to do with that. You now, will you do speed. some of that. Will you do some of that stuff in, uh, during the season? Sounds like you have a huge weight. Okay, program. so so what we'll do? So we got we got pitchers, and we got position players, and we got pitchers that pitch today, that pitch tomorrow, that that are going to pitch in two days, or that pitched yesterday. So we've got to work out for each type of pitcher based upon what happened. And sometimes, you know, like if you you know, if you're, if you pitched in the game, uh, you know, obviously tomorrow will be pitching day plus one, but after the game, if you threw a 40 pitch bullpen, tomorrow will be your pitching day plus one too. Um, it's kind of tough because you got to write like four different workouts on the board, uh, based upon, you know, like the position player from, from my experience at Oxford, our position players still want to lift heavy during the season. Um, and we do sometimes we'll max out in the morning of, of an area game that night, you know, um, and, and here's what, the, here's what the max effort stuff does for you. You know, we got the speed stuff on two days a week and we, got, and, but we're going to change. We're going to, this summer, we're going to change. We're going to do one max effort day per week. And, and we won't touch back on that same max effort lift until six weeks from now, because there's so many different max effort lifts you can do. So on Mondays and Tuesdays, we'll do our speed work. And when we do the max effort stuff, we try to do it one day per week. When we do the max effort stuff, that still stimulates the nervous system to let you know what max effort is. Sure. If that makes sense. So, like, if and, – and, I, you know, five years ago, we were all measuring bat speed and ball exit speed, and that matters, and that has its place. Um, here, here's why we train that. So, if, if, my, if my A swing um, – I think everybody swings at about 80, a good swing, a good compact connected swing is about 85% on game day. Um, 
I don't, you know, when, when a guy's a th- you know three zero count and and you know he just comes out of his shoes, sometimes he gets disconnected. He's long, you know, he might have a lot high bat speed, but maybe he mishits the ball. But I think of eighty five to ninety five percent of a compacted strong swing is where you want to be. And we even train some of that. You know, we'll say, you know, swing at 85% and try to hit it out dead center. Don't swing at 110%. Swing at 85%, try to to stay connected and hit it out dead center. So that's kind of something that we talk about. Um, And and again, I think about when I played and I was one of those, sometimes it'd be a 3-1 count. I'd give that max effort swing and I'd either yank it foul or roll over it or so. But the times, and a lot of the times, you think about it, a lot of your solid, home runs or doubles in the gap or two strikes because you stayed connected throughout the swing. You know, you may cut down on your swing, you know, so, so, but here, here's what I'm, I'm getting to. Let's say your max effort bat speed is a hundred miles per hour. And on game day, you're, you're about 87 miles per hour, you know, cause you're not taking the happy Gilmore hack or whatever, you know? Right. Um, but we're training that max effort speed to get to be 105 so that our game day is at 92. You know, does that make sense? So we're trying to increase our our max bat speed so that our average speed increases, if that makes sense. So like yeah. m- maybe when I was 10 years old, my max speed was 70, but on game day I swung the bat at 62. Well, in two years, my max speed might have been 85, but I still swung it at 78. You know, so mm-hmm. you want your overall max to increase so that your game day or your average max increases, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think so, it's also important to also help the guys feel those things, too. You know, like, oh, yeah, feel what 100% swing is. You know, you feel yeah. like going down to a knee, you know, coming out your shoes and then That's right. just dial it back and let's see how you can, you know. And same thing on the mound. You got your running guns that you yeah. guys are doing at 105, but their game day velocity off the mound is at 92. Or, you know, I could, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, throw the mess out of this baseball right here. And a guy touches 95, but he pitches at 82, at 92. So, but we want that max effort to increase to 97. So maybe that he pitches at 94, 95 now, you know, so mm-hmm. that's, that's the, that's stimulating the nervous system one day per week to let your brain and body know what max effort is. Because if you don't do, in my opinion, if you don't stimulate that nervous system to let it know what a max effort is, then next thing you know, your game day swing might be at 67%. You not even realize it, that you dropped off that much since the beginning of the season. And that, and that all comes from the Louis Simmons workout, you know, that, that um, uh, overall strength, strength, speed, and speed strength, um, you know, so, so, that, so that's what we do in the weight room, all right? So, and that's kind of the basis. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, Tuesday and Wednesday are more movement stuff in the weight room, um, you know, mover, movement over maxes or your Cressy uh, high-performance manual type stuff. And then Thursday will be a max effort lift. And, and, our, and, you know, we measure all that stuff. So our guys are on the board, you know, trying to beat their overall max. And, and But the biggest thing is being able to do that speed stuff on Monday and Tuesday. Okay, so when we come out of the weight room, we'll immediately go to breakfast. This year, breakfast will be a little different. It might be a drop-off. Our state and our lunchroom does a really good job of feeding us breakfast every day. It might be this year to where we, we get our parents to buy, you know, 2000 protein bars or granola bars or whatever, you know, we we want to put something in their body, you know, hopefully get 20 grams of protein in their body, you know, coming out of the weight room because throughout the summer it's hot in the South and we don't want them to drop 10 or 12 pounds. And we're really not in a true off season either because so many of our guys play on the weekends 
So we really get into our off-season, full off-season workout in August when we start back school and we're able to put on some muscle mass and gain some weight and we maybe take a month and a half off of long tossing or throwing competitively. Um, so when we come out of breakfast on Mondays, we've got three hitting groups. And on Monday, our three hitting groups will be a group, three groups of seven or three groups of six or five, six or seven, you know. And those guys have we we you got to earn your way to get in this group. So so we feel like you have to get in the Monday group if we feel like there's a chance that you'll have one at bat next year on varsity. So we'll kind of you know it might be 15 guys, it might be 20 guys, it might be 12 guys. But you had to earn your way somehow, some way, and it could you could earn that way defensively too. Like you could be the backup catcher. And when, you know, we got a DH in Alabama, but if you're the backup catcher and you're, you got a PO out there, then you're going to have to swing it, even though, you know, we can't DH for it. So, you know, so if we feel like at that moment, and then, and then there might be three guys not in that group, but by October, they're in that group. And this is just on Monday. You know, we call that the Monday group and the kids know, you know, you got to earn your right to get in the Monday group. Uh, and then uh, me and the hitting coach will will chart every swing during the summer. We'll chart barrels. We'll chart swing decisions. You know, if it's uh, if it's in the strike zone and they in BP. You know, if it's in the strike zone and they swing at it, it's a plus one. If it's out of the strike zone and they swing at it, it's minus one. And you know, if it's a ball and they swing at it, it's minus one. It's a ball and they take it as plus one. And uh, you know, we'll chart zones. We'll chart barrels. Just yes or no. Did I do I think that um, that uh, that that guy got some barrel in that ball and um, talking uh, on a Zoom call, you know, Monty Lee at Clemson is already a drill that I know I'm going to put in, um, you know, uh, just just different types of the field on different swings and different barrels or different balls. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a five, six, seven ball right here and just charting that and giving that guy a report. And we want to be in a, at, we'll set the mastery level at 70% or 80% or whatever. So we do a lot of measurables. The first 15 or 20 minutes of each group will be a lot of, you know, um, install to where, you know, we might put in uh, load to stride, scap load, uh, you know, 50-50, no stride, a lot of stuff of where the slot is and explaining, you know, those small things. And then when when one hitter's up, the other four guys waiting are doing some of those, whether it's hitting off a tee or no step or, um, just kind of mapping out how the how the bat moves, and you know sometimes it's different for different guys, and we try to match up these three groups based upon like guys, so that they can hear some of the same things that uh, you know maybe two or three guys move the same, and then the other seventeen guys move different, so we don't want so them to hear. You're something. grouping them by movers, or you're grouping them by ability. When when, when we can, so like one group is going to be made up of of other sports. So football, basketball players will be in group three because they work out in the weight room and do their speed and agility at the same time as us. And they might go a little bit longer. So I'll let them be a group three. And that way they'll come back, you know, at like 9.45 or 10.30 based upon what the time is set for that day. The other two groups, originally we set them as seniors in this group and juniors, but we're like, man, I really wish that our fast left-handed guys could hit in this group and our guys that are going to be hitting balls off the fence in this group. And then, you know, your gap-to-gap guys in this group. So, you know, right now I think it's important that we hear each other, you know, because, like, I may say something to that Juan Pierre, uh, Marquise Grissom-style guy um, to hit one way, and then the next guy be a Barry Bonds, Mike Trout, you know, 
in another group. And if they're all hearing different stuff, it kind of well, gets confusing to the kids. So we try to group them into three different groups based upon, <clears throat> based upon their style. And, and so, so, so we'll measure, we'll do a lot of measurables during the summer, the entire summer, we'll do a lot of measurables. So those three groups. So that's kind of all we do on Monday. Um, on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, we do the same workout, speed and agility, and then we get in the weight room and do another day of speed, and then we go to breakfast, and then we'll come out on Tuesday, and I'll have a group of catchers uh, work on Tuesday immediately after workouts. There will be two groups of young hitters working with our hitting coach, based doing kind of the same stuff we did the day before, but more mechanical fundamental stuff too. Uh, maybe some more front toss and off the tee stuff and not so much measuring and hitting on the field just yet, just to kind of teach them the foundation of the swing of, of what we, you know, feel like are some absolutes and fundamentals of, of just swinging the bat. And once I finish with the catchers, all of our pitchers will have group one, group two, group three pitchers. We usually have about 17 to 20 guys in the three groups and, we'll do a pitch design day. It won't be because most of them throw on the weekend. So they might've thrown in a championship game on Sunday, or they might've thrown in a pool play game with their travel ball team on Friday or Saturday. So on Tuesday, it'll be a pitch design today. And, and at the beginning in the month of June, I'll make them throw the pitch that I, you know, I'll say, okay, we're going to all do changeups today. On Thursday, pitch design, we'll all do cutters or we'll all do splitties. Just another pitch besides their fastball. Sometimes we'll just do a two seam day or, you know, try to get some movement um, because maybe some guy, some group is, is cutting the ball more than others. But it'll just be basically a pitch design, nice, easy, 50 to 70 percent working on grips uh, out in the outfield, just getting used to throwing. You know, they, I might just say we're going long toss with the changeup. We're going to do our pull downs with the changeup. And even learn from from a couple of guys on some Zoom calls now is I'm going to throw 70-foot change-ups a lot because the arm speed tends to be there when you're 10 foot further back. Um, so that's kind yeah. of a cool idea that I'd like to install this first yeah, A lot Tuesday. of guys say that just long toss and change-ups are great too. Yeah, so, um, so we'll do pitch design on Tuesday and then coach will hit in two groups. And then our corner guys will get some work. We got a first baseman coach, and there's a few third basemen that are working with us that that really their shortstops turned into third base. I want them to work with the middle infielders. And and we were talking about scouting the other day. You know, if I'm a if I'm a college coach right now, I'm probably going after and I'm just throwing this number out there. I'm probably going to go after 14 arms and 14 shortstops. And just wow. make there might be a, a right fielder that used to be a shortstop in high school. Uh, you know, he's athletic, sure. get him out there doing some outfield drills and who knows could be the best outfield, you know, just so we, we like for guys to work in the middle as much, even though they might be a corner, a third baseman guy. Sure. But then you'll have some ex-catchers that will move to third or ex-pitcher, ex-POs that's not – maybe doesn't have the great body to move a lot. So we'll do our corner workout. we got a first-base coach, and I throw the, the third baseman in this, in this group as well. But also some days when our middle guys are working, I put the third baseman with them because I think it's important to get their dry work and their picks and stuff with that. So we'll do our corners and our catchers defensively on Tuesday, and we'll have two young hitting groups that our hitting coach would just have by himself. On Tuesday night, and here's the reason why we do, do it on Tuesday night. On Tuesday night, we do middle infield work because our starting shortstop and our starting second baseman last year, one plays football, one plays basketball. So during that morning time, they're not with us. And we would, we would 
rather than go home, take a break, be a teenager, be a kid, do your summer thing, come back when the sun starts to go down, it's nice and cool and there's a learning environment as opposed to doing two and a half hours worth of football practice, seven on seven conditioning, sprinting and coming out there and being sweaty and just not really learn, wanting to learn and not really a good learning environment because in June and July in Alabama, it tends to get, starts to get, you know, the humidity gets up there at 1030, you know, so I'd say, hey, go home, be a kid, come back. So about six o'clock, we'll get there and we'll do our infield install and we'll start elementary square one on our knees, fielding balls, doing our hops, doing our picks. Um, and that'll be our just at 6 p.m. at night on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, our middle, our middle infielders will come back and, and do their middle infield work because I think they're separate. And, and as far as the corner guys, as far as them catchers and outfielders. All right, so now we're on to Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday will be our bullpen day. Um, so if if I threw on the weekend, Wednesday's a good day to have your bullpen day because uh, you're probably going to throw next weekend too. Yeah, any of these guys working out, work, like their summer team doesn't not going to practice during the summer? They do. Most of, the, most of our guys that play on travel ball teams practice on Tuesday night and Thursday night. Okay. Um, I think it's very important as a high school coach, you communicate with your kids' travel ball teams. At the end of the day, it's about making sure that kid's, you know, getting better, sure. uh, getting work in, getting quality work in. Um, so, and, that, and then during those um, player parent meetings is a lot of times we're discussing. So there might be a guy say, hey, coach, every Thursday we're going this. So before I send out that summer schedule, I kind of get all their practice practice schedules with their travel ball teams and tournaments and I already know like week two I'm going to miss two guys out of hitting group one because those guys are playing in a five-day long tournament in Atlanta you know so I already know that in my mind so that might be a day that I talk with my hitting coach and grab two freshmen that showed some great strides the first week or so in his hitting group and they're going to bump up and take their place that week that those guys are gone you know so and 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 if and if you're a if you communicate a lot and you know what these travel ball co coaches are doing and the same thing on their end, you know, I think a good travel ball coach reaches out to the high school coach and talks about, Hey, is this guy going to be a lead off, you know, center field type for your guy, or is he actually going to play some second base? And are you thinking about being a, a middle of the order guy? So I think it's important that those conversation takes place. Um, I, I maybe when I first started coaching, I had some guys that wouldn't communicate, but now I think two times a year we have a, good long conversation with all of our guys that play ball with their coaches. And it's good to just, you know, and even when going into my season, I might reach out to those guys and say, Hey, how's so-and-so doing in the outfield this, this summer? Cause we're thinking about, you know, when so-and-so comes to the mound, we're thinking about get, giving him a look in the outfield. And so they have some feedback in that as well. And, and, and again, if, if their heart's in the right spot and know it's about the kid, at the, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're going to be honest with us and, I think it's just a big thing is our responsibility as high school coaches to get out and communicate and don't wait on them. Go ahead and make that call at the beginning of the summer. Talk about a guy, you know, this guy might've thrown a lot of innings for us. You know, Hey, I think it's a good time to maybe give him, you know, a spot, you know, maybe piggyback a start instead of making him a start and let him come in in the third or fourth inning. Uh, and so, so I think it's just important that that conversation flows real well, two way street there. So absolutely. Um, so on, on Wednesday, you know, we got our bullpen and our bullpens are charted. We have them a mastery goal of 70% strikes on command, uh, on whatever coach is working on, whatever we're doing this, we want it to be 70% or better. 
Um, and, you know, some guys might at the end of the summer be at 66% and they feel like they're letting us down. But we, we, want, we want our guys to be at 66% during the game. And a lot of stuff is like missing. You know, we're missing in the strike zone on purpose. Um, but um, we're going to coach it at 70%. And we're just going to call that our mastery level at 70%. Um, you know, and, and a lot of these times they don't even have a catcher because the catcher's doing their work with me. Um, so we'll have the uh, the little sock net, the nine hole sock net, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever the coach, you know, and, and the coach will have to do it. He does a good job. Coach Bowen does a good job of, of playing games, some competitive games with our pitching staff, especially during the summer. Every now and then we'll have two or three guys that don't play on a travel ball team that don't pitch. And for those guys, they'll kind of go with double bullpen on Wednesday. So most of our guys will do – a 30 pitch pin to where they'll do a set of 15 and then take a break and then do another set of 15. These guys might do four sets of 15 uh, just because they're not throwing, uh, you know, and, and we'll always ask them after their two sets of 15, Hey, how do you feel? Do you want to do one or two more or do you want to shut it down right there? And you think about a guy who just threw in a championship game on Sunday, it's Wednesday and he might be starting again on Friday. Well, he might just want to do, you know, like a 15 or a 30. Sure. Pitch or, so, um, and then, of course, uh, catchers will be with me on that day. The pitchers will be with Coach Bowen. There will be one or two more hitting groups with our hitting coach. And this, now you're talking about eighth and ninth graders. During the summer, um, I have, you know, so all those seventh through twelfth graders that were on the team last year, now they're eighth through twelfth graders, and then the seniors graduated. So we've got eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth that are coming to us that we get to get our hands on and get some good development work with those guys throughout the summer. So that he might be down to the eighth grade and ninth grade group now, now with this hitting group on Wednesday. All right. And Wednesday night, again, our middle infielders are coming back to get their work in. Then Thursday morning, we're back in uh, speed and agility, hitting the weight room. And then Thursday after workouts, now we've got our group one, group two, group three hitting groups back again from Monday. So if you're in that group on Monday, then you're hitting twice a week. Okay. All right. So in Thursday night, we got our middle infielders coming back Thursday. And, and I told, I met with our catchers uh, yesterday and I told them all, I said, catchers just expect to do some sort of work every day. And it might not even be stuffing. It might just be how to shake an umpire's hand and how to carry on that relationship and, and be, uh, you know, just I was talking about this the other day with some guys, you know, it's not just a handshake and Hey, my name is, you know, hey, where, where'd you go to school? Did you play ball? You know, how many kids you got or whatever? You know, I think it's important to extend that invitation with the catcher-umpire um, uh, communication further than just shaking a hand. And we actually teach them, you know, how to shake a hand and uh, with the umpire, looking them in the eye, you know, first name, last name. You know, most of the guys would kind of give a fist bump and just kind of look down at the ground. But I think it's important that, that you know, we go over that. It's part of you uh, creating better men. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So – um, so catchers will work three out of those four days. Um, and then uh, a Thursday will be an outfield day. Uh, right now, a lot of our outfielders are playing other sports as well. So I've kind of, and, and one of them is a basketball player and maybe two of them is a football player. So the basketball player has workouts from 12 to two for basketball. The football player has workouts from seven 30 to nine. So together as a group, I just told them weekly, you guys message me a 45-minute window to get some outfield drills in, and y'all let us know. And now, because to me, if I'm making guys, and this is just me, other coaches do it different ways and it works for them. But for me at Oxford, I think it's better that I work with these coaches and work with the players and work with the parents 
And it's not like I'm making them because you think about a freshman outfielder that plays football, basketball, and baseball, and he pitches. And if I require him to be up here at a certain time, sometimes that kid's up there from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. And as a freshman, it gets stressful and you're drained and you got to do it again, you know. And so I communicate with those coaches and we all know, and there might be like the basketball coach. If they're just a baseball basketball guy, they'll be with me on Tuesdays and Thursdays and they'll be with him on Mondays and Wednesdays. So this is a whole like ox Oxford High School. This is what you guys yeah. do. So every mm-hmm. every every sport is doing summer conditioning mm-hmm. in some capacity. That's right. So so as soon as we get on a normal year, and I say normal, not being on lockdown or the or the virus or anything like that, you know, at nine thirty when we come out of the weight room, that there's some volleyball or softball or girls basketball coming in the weight room. This year. Um, just because the numbers that they have to work with, I think they're going to do their outdoor work in the month of June and then their indoor weight room stuff in the month of July. I think that's how they're going to handle it. Just because it, they got a lot more numbers because our volleyball coach is also our softball coach. So she And then she doesn't have as many coaches as we do to kind of manage and make sure we're doing our social distancing. Like when we're outdoors, we just got to be six feet apart. If we're within six feet apart, we got to have a mask. And then when we go indoors, you know, we got to – uh, disinfect anytime somebody comes off of a rack or a bar, we got to disinfect them before another guy gets on. So that's why I'll do our nine sets of three is now three sets of three, three sets of three, and three sets of three. So guy number one will do his three sets, we'll wipe it off, you know, clean the bench down, clean the bars down. Next guy will do his three sets instead of after one set, clean them off, and then just kind of it'll just get kind of long. Sure. So um, so Friday, our infielders are coming back on, I mean, Thursday, our infielders are coming back on Thursday night at six. Um, we'll do pitch design again on Thursday with another set of pitchers. Um, and a lot of times I'll communicate this on Monday morning. I say, Hey, did you pitch this weekend? No. Okay. You're doing pitch design on Tuesday. Did you pitch this weekend? Yes. Okay. You'll throw your bullpen on Wednesday, but you'll do some sort of pitch design on Thursday. And we'll install the cutter, the, the slider, the splitty, the change up or whatever new pitch that maybe and then you know to me when I introduce the cutter if I've got 20 pitchers three guys might pick it up next Tuesday we introduce the splitty if I got 20 guys three guys might pick up the splitty and say hey it's tumbling out of my you know a spin rate slow which is what you want on a splitty and it's tumbling out of my hands kind of the way I want it to I can command it a little bit I'm going to try to use it in my bullpen next week you know, so we're just kind of creating, you know, and all their bullpens, the rap solo will be on, but we're not looking at it. But the coaches, pitching coach and myself, after the next day, before the next Wednesday, we'll look at that, those numbers. Sometimes in the fall, we'll, we'll have one day to where they're throwing a pin and we're looking at all of those numbers. And then the next day, we won't look at those numbers at all. Because I think you can get caught up and get immobilize just by, you know, and take four minutes to throw another pitch just because you're trying to dissect that one pitch. So um, we have it if we need it. And if we see something and we like a guy, then the, the, I think the rap Soto and all these technology things, is just another assistant coach. Sure. The, the blast, everything's another assistant coach. And a lot of times, you know, that pitcher is getting a lot of swing and misses on the splitting. Okay. Let's look at the rap. Okay. Thank you, coach rap Soto. Uh, this is the reason why we're getting a lot of split uh, swing mm-hmm. and misses. So it's just basically another – it's not replacing a coach. It's, it's just another assistant coach. It's, it's also justifying in, what you're seeing as well. And, and and it's giving us the information a little bit quicker than we would if 
if we, you know, had a electronic camera and slowed it down. Oh, okay. So that's how it's tumbling or whatever. So, um, so that's kind of our, our, our main week. And then on Friday, we call it stud day. If you show up on Friday, we'll spend about 20 minutes in the weight room doing some sort of supplemental stuff. And we will reward you by hitting out on the field on Friday. Nice. Uh, it's kind of a fun day. Uh, you know, if, if you're on the travel ball team and your travel team's not playing this weekend, most of those guys, we average around 15 to 20 guys on Friday. Overall, we got about 40 guys uh, that'll come that are just uh, baseball only, or maybe their, their other sport is not working out of their time. So we've got 26 racks in our weight room. So we feel like we're going to put two guys per rack. You know, no, normally we're in there with football or some, uh, some group of football and there's sometimes there's 90 guys in there at once to where we have to do three or four, but, but because of what we're having to do, we're going to put two guys to a rack. And I think that's, you know, we're trying to be as safe as we possibly can there. Um, so that's our Monday through Friday. Um, and, and that leads up be, all the way to the fall, right? Yes, sir. So um, you'll be surprised at during, just during the summer of how much a guy will develop. Sure. And, and again, and, and, I, you know, there's there's so many summer teams that do it right, and then there's some summer teams that don't practice that just play on the weekend. And 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 you know, most of those guys that I communicated with, they'll, they'll say, "Hey, coach, we're not going to practice in the middle of the week. We know you guys are doing work. You know, blah blah." blah. So, and and as far as a high school coach, that's really our time to develop. And I and I think the summer coaches should respect that middle of the week time to develop for the high school coach, because I'm not going to get that basketball player that plays baseball, I'm not going to see him again until Valentine's day. And our first game is February 15th. Mm -hmm. So I'll just get him. So if he does, if he goes six weeks in the summer without doing any work with me, then they got basketball season from, you know, October to February. And then, then we got our first game and he's a young sophomore second baseman or whatever. It's, it's tough. So um, I think the summer coaches should respect in, in 90, since 2005, we've been we've been doing our workouts in the morning so even if you do you know and, and our middle infielders uh our four of our top 10 middle infielders um they're they're not practicing on tuesday wednesday or thursday nights so i kind of got with my infield coach to kind of check into that to when their practice time was because my infield coach could not be there at 9 30 he owns a restaurant and he's got to manage that restaurant but at nighttime at six was a good time for him he reached out to those players and parents. I also mentioned it in my conversation with the parents. If you're a middle infielder at 6 p.m., good with you on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights. We kind of put it to our older guys that we, we want you to hit two out of those three nights because you think about a shortstop who also pitches, he's probably throwing a pin on Wednesday morning. Mm. So that might be his day that he doesn't come Wednesday night, unless the infield coach, you know, lets me know, hey, we're not going to do any throwing. Just don't throw. So, so, you know, and, and the guy that's a, that's an outfielder, dual guy, infielder guy will say, okay, hit, hit, hit outfield on Thursday, get your third base work in on Tuesday, get your middle infield work on Wednesday. So, you know, you always got some of those guys and those guys are valuable. Those utility guys are very valuable. So that's kind of our summer and that'll carry us all the way up to uh, the start of school. So um, when you, with the, your summer, with your summer, sorry, coach, I was just thinking, um, you know, it, it seems like a great time too to Stephen even from a culture standpoint, you know, like to be mm -hmm. able to, to okay. bring in your summer stuff. So like, you know, I know that you're, you're big into your faith, family and fun mm -hmm. um, and your principles. 
do do any of those things kind of come out towards that? Do you kind of break it yeah. down? Is there like do you have like specific maybe and days? I'm, and I'm glad you asked on? that because we got accountable Mondays, we got intense oh, okay. Tuesdays, we got toughness Wednesdays, um, we got commitment Thursdays, and then and discipline Fridays. And so, like we'll do our Friday discipline stuff. We might have to hit it on Thursday when they're still there. And and so I talked with the coaches uh, yesterday morning. We had two coaches that were on vacation when we had like our summer slash staff meeting a couple weeks ago. And I talked with them, and uh, you know we got we have to do a lot of meeting outdoors because if we meet indoors now, we got to disinfect the entire room. Sometimes that's our classroom, and uh, so we're going to meet outdoors in in next to our press box. It's like a shaded area, and it's on in the bleachers. That's where we'll meet every morning. So um. Each coach, there's during our workouts, there's going to be three coaches with us. So each coach has got a little accountability story, or whether it's a motivational thing about accountability, or some current uh, situation going on in our country with accountability. Um, and then once our coaches hit a couple of those, then we'll get our older guys to start talking about accountability. And maybe they can even get, you know, in two or three weeks when we turn it over to the players to give those conversations. In during pre-practice, and maybe they can even give an example. Like last week, uh, RJ, when I got on to you about um, about finishing that last that base running drill, you know, that's just me trying to hold you accountable because that's the standard of Oxford baseball, and I don't want the legacy of my senior class be that class that that like that kind of turned an eye away of you know holding somebody accountable. You know, so I, I just think it's good to. And then so like when we transition from our speed work and agility and go to the weight room, then another coach might pop in and talk, say two sentences about something of accountable, like, okay, um, you know, coaches are holding players accountable, players are holding each other accountable, and you got to hold yourself accountable. If we're going to win a championship, you know, we can't skip reps. If you skip reps, you cheat on your test, you cheat on your wife, and you just get them a whole thing of accountability, right? And then so on Tuesdays, We'll talk about intensity and, you know, in order for us to, to win a championship, you know, it starts about winning this drill and the, and the intent in which we go after and we go about our business today in this drill has to be a level 10 on intensity. So, and, you know, and that's, and that's kind of our principles, just kind of that um, space repetition that we're using to ingrain in our guys about the Oxford way and the culture that, that is, uh, that is going on uh, and the chemistry that we're trying to create. And then, and I think, if we go three days without any of our coaches talking about commitment or discipline or care, I'm t- I don't know why it's three days, but it is. If we go three days without any of our older guys talking about the principles and standards, uh, and, and, and that's what leadership is. You know, leadership is, you, you know, you're measured by, you know, mission accomplishment and did you take care of your teammates? And then teammates are measured by, you know, going by the standards, but making sure everybody else are going by the standards as well. That's a good teammate. You know, I think a bad teammate is you're off the field at a party or something and you got, you know, baseball guys there. You got four guys on the couch and one guy's involved in something he shouldn't be involved in. And those four guys just stand there and they let that guy go down the drain. Uh, I think it's our job to stand up and make sure and take care of him and make sure that he's, living up to the standards so that he's not hurting our teammates. And that's what, that's what, that's what, mess, yeah, you know, and everybody, you know, I think everybody in this world, I think in their heart is, is uh, everybody knows right from wrong, you know, but, but I think our job is, is being better men 
um, is, is to make sure that we're holding each other accountable in that, you know, and, you know, and saying, Hey, this, that's not the way we do things here at Oxford. Um, so I'm glad you asked that question because I totally skipped over that, but that's one of the things that, that our coaches talked about is, and I think the worst thing to do, the worst thing to go about it is for me and me only to stand up there in front of the kids every day and just talk about our principles and our standards and our core values and our, and our pillars. Um, but if we can all echo it, I just think it comes away alive. And next thing you know, one of those 10th graders that are emerging leaders, he'll come up with some sort of crazy hashtag about something and it'll end up being a t-shirt in the fall, you know, or something. So, um, and, you know, it's, and, then, and then that creates the environment of a, of a good family environment where we care about each other and we love one another. And every day when we break it down, which we'll have to break it down a little bit different this summer, we can't get in tight, you know, um, but um, every day we break it down, team on three, tell somebody you love them when you leave. And we're one, two, three, team. And then, we, you know, we're just sitting there telling each other we love each other. So I just think it's important to have that family atmosphere of love and, 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 and not because not many – not many environments have that word. Uh, not many environments talk about that word. Not many men, not many 42-year-old men can sit there and look another man in the eye and say, I love you. But um, I think that's important uh, that we're communicating that and showing that. And it's not just a word that we say, but, you know, it's kind of, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of a, our principles and core values just don't need to be on that sheet of paper or just don't need to be the things that coach Brooks talks about each morning. It's, it needs to be our language that we speak at Oxford and, and, you know, who knows five, four or five years from now, uh, something else might come up and say, Hey, I think this is the Oxford way to legacy or whatever, you know, it is. And, 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 you know, we do book studies. So I'll just kind of continue on with the fall. If that's okay. You want to just can, Continue going in the fall. Yeah, you can, or I was, I mean, I was, uh, you can, you can, you can go in the fall. I was thinking like, I was wondering of all those ways that you are implementing the pillars and, mm-hmm. and, and doing those things. Like what, what do you feel like is the, is the best thing you do? You're kind of laying it, you're kind of laying it all out. Okay. It's great. But like, so, so I think the best thing to do is, is when I'm meeting with our older guys and they've already heard it, let's say we go six weeks and we've talked about our, our core values and, and just, what we want to accomplish in our culture and we've already established, you know, relationships and process and present moment focus. And we've already established everything that we want to establish in those six weeks. And then we get to the fall. Um, Think it's, it's important. And, and in 2016, it brings me back to a year that, that it, it was a great environment. And I think it was because of this. When, when the kids know it well enough to teach it to our team, um, that and the kids can sit there and, you know, we talk about negative body language all the time, and I'm sitting there calling an O2 curveball in the dirt, and the guy hangs it and he gets a base hit. And I'm starting to show negative body language, and I look to my right, and there's like four or five players like, Coach, don't do it. Release, relax, refocus. When the players are, are holding me accountable – because of this is the way we do things, coach, and you're not showing negative body language, I think that's when you know as a coach that is starting to, like, transition over to where they own it. You know, you know it and you do it and then you own it. So those players are owning that negative body language about, you know, hey, we're not going to let you do it, Coach Brooks. Because, you know, so saying all that to say, so how does it get to that point? Well, I think, in my opinion, for Oxford um, – and, 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 and look, guys, we, we don't do things great all the time. We have our, 
mess us. But, but those principles and core values are like, how did we fail the Oxford way? We failed the Oxford way because we did not have good two-strike discipline today. Or we failed the Oxford way because um, our intensity level wasn't where it was supposed to be this past week at practice. And the game, the result of the game showed that. So, um, so, so the great years when things are hitting on all cylinders is when your older guys, your best players are your hardest workers and your best players and your hardest workers are guys who are teaching the team the Oxford way. So how does that happen? How do you create that as a coach? Or how might I get our players to know it well enough to teach it to our team? So once we kind of give like a little run through of it in the summer and we'll have some, some Sunday socials to where each coach will take out a different grade level. Like I might do the seniors, or I might even do the freshmen to kind of get them to, spark, them to start speaking our language. Coach Brackett might do our sophomores. Coach Bowen might do our juniors because maybe our juniors play a lot of football and Coach Bowen's a football coach. And Coach Shannon's got a restaurant in town, so maybe he does the, the seniors because they're the biggest group or what, you know, maybe he can feed them a steak or something. I don't know. So, um, and then we all kind of speak, you know, all us coaches, we kind of speak those things out of, of, of how we're going to do this. And then the fall comes and, you know, we're still missing a couple of our guys, but now's a good time to, to like, okay, let's study what it means to be a better man. Let's study what it means to, to, uh, to play baseball the Oxford way. And I think that's important for every coach on every team and every sport at every level. When you say play the game the right way, what does that mean? Well, let's define that. And you write down all these things like, you know, running a hard 90 or, you know, sprinting on and off the field or sitting in the front of the classroom, you know, whatever it is, is, you know, what is your definition of playing the game the right way? And like, we've kind of made, okay, this is the Oxford way. And, you know, whether it's, you know, whether football does something different in their Oxford way or basketball, you know, at least maybe some of those crossover players are getting how we do it. And, and, and maybe there's something we're not doing in our program that basketball does that those basketball guys are going to help us. You know, I think it's cool for each, you know, our, our, our police department, our city, our district, our school, we all have that hashtag, that one word focus, that mission, that vision, that principle, all the way down to my health classroom. So it starts like in your city. So we'll go to, to talk to our mayor and our city leaders and say, hey, what's your vision? What's y'all's mission? And what are the core values? Our police department is like protect and serve, you know? So, you know, so, so like no matter where you go, you got to have that foundation of your mission, vision, and principles, or you don't have a way to measure, did you win the day? Did you win that moment? Yes or no. And, and if we did, it's not necessarily that, that we lose the moment, but sorry, I got a phone call. But it's not necessarily did we lose that moment. It's just what did we learn from that moment? You know, trial and error. That's the old school math problem that I've learned in the ninth grade is, is trial and error. And I think that's baseball to a T. You know, you try it, it doesn't work. You try it, it doesn't work. You try it, it does work. Okay, when it works, how did that feel? What did your body feel right there when you did hit that ball or, or when you did block that ball or when you did feel through that ball or when you threw that slider down the way? What did you feel? And all four or five answers are going to be different. And as a coach, you got to go with that answer. Because sometimes if you tell a kid exactly how the body moved, he's not going to believe you because in his mind, he thinks the body uh, pronated a little earlier. 
And, and it really, it was just his, his finger stayed behind the baseball a long time. And then maybe after release it from, so there's so many different ways. And I think each kid learns a little different and, and you got to figure out what works for each kid. And then hopefully at the end of the day, those kids become leaders of their own learning. And our job as coaches is to eliminate our job to where those, and so I'm getting back to how I'm doing. So, so let's just say, whether it's, whether it's talking about our mission or talking about our core values and principles or our standards or talking about, you know, um, anything that we do in our program, I've got to give that senior some, I got to be a resource for him to be able to get up in front of our team and talk about what it means to be accountable. When you first heard that word, in as a freshman, what did that mean to you? And, and, and then maybe the next day, you know, I have a, an article for a guy on what does intensity mean to you? And then maybe I grab up some old coach rubber show stuff from Louisiana Lafayette and talk about some of his practice and say, Hey, when I was at, when I was at this clinic in 2016, coach rubber show talked about this. And this is a, this is one of his, you know, it's cool because, you know, all the ABCA stuff is online. All these Zoom calls are online. You can go back and say, okay, here's his talk that he had in Alabama at our state convention. Listen to this tonight. Dissect it and whatever your number one take-homes are from that message, present it to our team tomorrow. And it, and it just gives that kid a different outlook on intensity or, you know, you know, coach, a, a different outlook on toughness. I mean, he was one of those coaches and – and so many people are saying old school, new school, this old school still plays, old school still wins. New school, uh, sometimes these new school, and I, and I think you can do old school. I like to teach everything that we teach. I like to say old school, new, new school, and hybrid. And so I like to say, okay, this is the way Coach Brooks did it back in 1996 when I was catching. This is the way uh, this uh, guy from the Atlanta Braves is doing it this year. And this is the way um, – you know, maybe because so-and-so's hip doesn't don't work, maybe he could do a hybrid version of a little bit of both because his hips aren't as flexible and he can't get up underneath that ball. So he's got to put that left knee down, but maybe he's missing some movement right and left and he he go he takes that knee. So, you know, so so we're talking about these things daily, but when our older guys start teaching our team about our principles and core values, and they stand you know, it's funny because when I speak, I'm the same language. I'm like, I'm like that old history teacher in the classroom that everybody kind of tunes out after about 30 seconds. But when our players get up in front of the team and talk for five minutes, they might get tongue tied and something funny might happen. And those kids remember that. And, and sometimes when it comes, and, and at the same time, if I'm the starting shortstop and I'm a senior and I've been in the program for three years and I'm talking about hustling, then I've got to, I've got to go out there and hustle myself because if I, if I say something to the team and I don't go out there and do it, I'm going to get called out by half of my teammates, you know? So I think it's important that when those kids are talking about it, they're also teaching themselves, but they know it well enough to teach all of our guys. And then once you, once you get up in front of the room and you talk about hustling, you got to go out there and hustle and you got to back it up. So I think that is where uh, our program uh, gets the most out of, out of what it means to become a better man. And putting your kids in those situations to speak yeah, and be on be vulnerable. Yeah. And actually put up, draw a line in the sand. That's right. And so I think, um, you know, for, 
for for our guys to to be able to to be, obviously you know that's what we're trying to do is become better men. Um, it just kind of it translates over, you know it it it's got to they got to know in their heart that I that we as coaches don't just care about when they cross the line says hitting the double in the gap. Because if a guy does something wrong on the weekend and he comes to practice and hits a double on the gap and I run out there and chest bump or high five him and I run back to the dugout, that guy's going to say, well, he really just doesn't really care what I do off the field. And it's got to be a way of life. It's got to be, you know, and, and in these little conversations, I think the best one is when I always love it. I always start the year off with this one. It's, it's okay. You know, it's winning the day. And then, and then it's how, how do you win the day? And it's all about the moments. And then, how, when does winning the day start? And a lot of people say when the alarm clock goes off. And then, and then a lot of people say, you know, when you brush your teeth. And I'm like, no, it starts the night before on preparing yourself to win the day the next day. And they're like, what do you mean, Coach? I'm like, well, you got your academic bag. You got your notebook. You got all of your books. You got your MacBook or whatever you take to school. Something to write with, something to write on. And all the good stuff it, it takes to be a good student. Then you got your athletic bag. Like if you're a catcher, you got your catching gear bag, you got your bats, you got your cleats. Um, and then you got what you're going to wear to school tomorrow. And then you got what you're going to wear to practice tomorrow. And, and I'll just look at in a group of 40 guys and I'll say, raise your hand if you've had to text or call your parents in the middle of the day because you forgot your bat bag or because you forgot your cleats. Or, and, you know, half the guys are going to raise their hand. Say, so, okay, that is not your responsibility. I mean, that, I, remember, I said, that is not your parents' responsibility. That is your responsibility. And then, and then whether it's, you know, let's just say responsibility is not one of our standards or core value words or buzzwords. We'll kind of twist it and make it one of our, you know, just dis discipline, you know. So, so it starts the night before. So when it starts the night before to prepare to win the day the next day, then, you know, then that's when you set, why are you setting your alarm clock? And, you know, um, and sometimes, you know, I'll even call it an opportunity clock, you know. There you go. Um, so, so, okay, I'm setting my, setting my opportunity clock at 5.45 a.m. You know, I wake up. Do you hit the snooze button or do you not? You know, obviously, you know, if you do hit the snooze button, you're going to wake up 15 minutes later and you're going to be rushing out the door. You're going to be, you know, you might not put deodorant on that day. You might just eat one bite of toast. Uh, you're not going to put on your seatbelt. You, you know, you're – you're trying to call your buddy for that homework assignment that you missed that you told yourself you was going to get up 15 minutes earlier to do. You park in the wrong space in the parking lot because it's closer to the door because you're almost late. You don't see that trash in the parking lot. You don't hold the door open for the female. You're tardy in class. You got your shirt tail out. And in our school, you got to have your shirt tail in. And then you left your MacBook in the car. So all those things going wrong. And then you got, you just got to have, you're going to have a bad day. Mm -hmm. but if you prepare yourself the night before your academic bag, your athletic bag, what you're going to wear for school, you set your opportunity clock for five forty-five. You don't hit the snooze button. You make your bed. There's so many things. I mean, you've seen the speech from Texas, the high school, uh, at that high school or yeah, that right. college graduation. And, and there's, and so you make your bed and you, you know, you brush your teeth, you shower, you brush your teeth, you put your deodorant on, you brush your hair, you put your clothes on that you laid out the night before, you got your shirt, you woke up 15 minutes early, so you got your shirt tail in, you got your belt on, um, your bags are already ready beside the door, you were, you woke up in time to fix yourself some breakfast or at least to eat a good breakfast, you kiss your mom and dad goodbye, give them a hug, you grab your back bags, you put your seatbelt on, you don't text and drive, you got up 15 minutes early so you completed a homework assignment on the way, 
you parked in the right space in the parking lot, you saw some trash or you saw something that somebody dropped, you picked it up, put it in the trash can, you held the door open for a female teacher that had her hands full, you're in class five minutes early, you got a smile on your face and you got 12 victories before the day even starts. And now you're talking about winning the day and that creates a domino effect for the rest of the day. But if you're just, you know, if, if it's the other way and you, you don't prepare at nighttime and then you're texting your mom, bring my bag, I forgot this, and, you know, so, and that's just preparing to dominate the next day. And then when you get home at night, you got, you might've had a bad day at practice, but you got that made bed at nighttime and it's sitting there waiting on you. It just kind of puts a smile on your face. And when the day's done and look at that, you know, and so when our kids are teaching our kids those core values, those little wins throughout the day, it starts to become contagious and you have to grow slow. Sometimes coaches and teams have success too quickly because maybe they cheated the game a little bit. And the game knows, we all know that when you cheat the game a little bit, the game knows. So all these little things are talked about. Hopefully throughout the summer, we've we've given them just a little bit of knowledge about the buzzwords that we want to talk about and the language that we want to speak to our team. And now our older guys can dive deep because they kind of already speak the same language with each other. And to me, it goes back to, um, let's go Bobby Cox, the uh, ex uh, uh, manager for the Atlanta Braves. Um, and, I, and I bring up Atlanta cause I'm about an hour from there. And that was, that's, that's my team that I root for. So Bobby Cox probably took a swing 30 years ago. Or, or whoever their hitting coach is, or, or they probably took a swing. 19 years ago was his last major league at bat. And now he's the Atlanta Braves hitting coach. Who's more powerful, that hitting coach or Brian McCann? That's an old veteran that has seen all different types of, of pitchers that have caught all different types of pitchers that have tried to get out all different types of hitters. Who's giving the most knowledge about hitting in that dugout? That So me, in my opinion, I think Brian McCann brings – a certain number of wins because he's an older veteran in the dugout giving those in-game adjustments and little tidbits of information, and he's speaking the same language as the players. So as coaches, we need to expect our older guys to know the program inside and out by the time they get to be a junior and senior and be able to share what they've learned along the way and be able to be – like if I've got 16 older guys, then I should have 16 assistant coaches teaching our younger guys – of what they've taught, been taught throughout the, the program. So, um, and as far as like, you know, helping them become better men, it's, it's got to be a 50-50 balance. We can't, we can't hang, you know, you can sit back and look, well, as a coach, am I teaching these guys just to be better men and, right. and not, not to win on the field? And so you, sometimes as coaches, we get caught in that, Still got to be competitive. Yeah, so that's right. So, so that's the buzzword. So, you know, and, and I'll use this story a lot. You know, uh, David cut off the head of Goliath, and he was following God's will, what he wanted to do. And I guarantee you he was competitive when that moment happened. You know, so you, you can you can be great men, but you can also be, com- be great competitors. And whether you're on the front line in, in, in battle, on the battlefield, or you're in the classroom or the weight room or, you know, when we go in the weight room, we're competing against ourselves. We're competing against that weight on that rack, you know, and that's the front line that we're battling right there. So, um, and then, you, you know, and as a coach, sometimes you think, okay, we did a good job of that last year. So we probably don't have to go over it. Well, you got seven new freshmen, you got to transfer in 
And now the guys that are teaching it, uh, they heard it last year. So now it's their turn to teach it. So I think it's important that you don't skip over and, and think just because, because, you know, just like on the field, you know, just because we went over this punt coverage last year, we've got to go over it again this year. We can't just talk about it and on the drawing board, you right. know? So I think it's something that each year and each year is different. And I think that's, that's the thing. That's what makes a great coach is finding out how you can help create that good team chemistry uh, being great competitors, uh, working your tail off, but at the same time, loving what you do. Um, and I think, and, and maybe getting, finding out a way to get that kid to play 1% above his potential. And when you can get kids to play, when you get good high school players to play above their potential, then I think you've accomplished your mission as a, as a head coach. Yeah, man. Well, let's get, let's, let's dive into that then. Let's dive into some, uh, like, what do you feel like is the one of the best things that you do to develop players? You know, like you get to work with, you know, U13, you know, USA yeah. Baseball, you get to work with, um, okay. you know, what do you think, what do you feel is the best thing that you're doing? You know, you already dove into some catching stuff. I know you love and, catching. Yeah, I think anything, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, or anything you're trying to teach, I think it's very important to go back to the first step. Okay. What's important behind the plate? It's huge it is huge at giving a signal to the pitcher you know so so we'll spend an entire day on just giving a signal we'll spend 45 minutes on how to give a signal when to move uh how much movement where where your hand is where your elbow. you know you go back to the great quarterback coaches and he's getting his his index fingers got to be right here his thumbs got to touch here and his right Foot needs to be equal to his left end step because he's about to open up to, you know. So I think you're paying attention to details and reverse dissecting it all the way back down to the first step or the first movement. And once you once you master that first movement, once you master giving a signal, now we can move on into the stance. But so many guys that I see, like I'll go out to our youth park. And, a, and whether it's the dad or the coach, he'll just immediately go hitting ground balls from home plate. And he's out there yelling 120 feet out there to the shortstop of telling him what he's doing right and when wrong. And I just think that that is the old school way that we used to do things. You know, number one, because there used to be just one baseball coach, just coaching 20 guys. Now, now we got a lot of coaches. So I think it's important that we sit here and look at the steps of how to do this right. And we master that before we move on. You know, you got to master the seventh grade before you move on to the eighth grade. So I think it's important that you have a good foundation. They they master it uh, in a way um, that is sat, that is up to your level uh, of expectation as a coach. And don't you know? And 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 the tough the toughest thing now is now that we know that we don't we don't go back and and let's say two guys haven't mastered it and five guys have we don't go on to the next one. Um, we keep those two guys after practice or make them come before practice and get them up to the level, you know, and I think uh, another good friend of mine um, talks about this all the time. Like he doesn't think that his team is better than all teams, but he's, he wants to make sure that his last team, his last guy on his bench is better than your last guy on your bench. 
And I think that's a good outlook uh, to, to make sure that you're coaching all of your guys throughout the entire year instead of just putting them to the side at the end, you know, midseason and saying, hey, this guy will never play this year, but that guy might play a year from now or two years from now. Or the guy that's playing now might get hurt and you won't miss a beat. I think that's important too. When you can go through a year and you have a couple of injuries, whether it's a pulled muscle or an arm goes down on the mound and the next guy steps up and you don't miss a beat as a team, I think that's important is what type of program uh, are you building and do you have? And I think when you're developing, no matter what position you, you're developing, you know, infielders are starting on their knees and, and barehanded and, and making sure they're doing step one correctly or to your level of mastery. Um, you know, outfielders, you know, their prep step uh, is huge. And prep step is huge in the infield. I'm just kind of going at different position. You know, in hitting – you know, how a guy picks up a bat and how he gets in the box and how his uh, how his legs are activating. And is he in a good position to even think about hitting? You know what I mean? And, and pitchers, you know, um, are, are they, you know, so much is on developing velocity these days or, you know, I think I think you got to be connected and you got to be uh, – you got to have some pretty common, solid – uh, things going on down the mound before you can think about, you know, developing uh, velocity. And I, I think sometimes we put the car before the horse and, and we want that to happen quick. And in everything you do, whether it's in business or coaching, I think you've got to grow slow. Uh, you know, I don't think you can expect that eighth grader to be throwing mid-80s by his ninth grade year. But there might be, you know, a guy throwing, doing that. And don't try to figure it out as a coach. Hey, what do we do yeah, with that kid? That, there you go. It's not be a, might be a, a different level of maturity to where um, that guy did. You know, he started figuring some things out of, of the most efficient way to get down the mound, and, um, you know, and whether it's through long toss or hip movement or, you know, finally he figured out what a hip hinge was and, you know, and who knows what it is. But I think as coaches, we make their toolbox as big as it can possibly be. Then that way they can play fast on game day. I think as an infield coach, if we coach guys, hey, this is the way that we have to go get this ball to our right, this a three hopper to our right. I don't think you can say that anymore. I think you've got to give that guy three or four different ways to go field that three hopper to his right. Also, the internal clock of what type of speed the runner is. And is it a right-handed hitter or a left-handed hitter? One's got top spin, one's got backspin of, of the three hopper. And there's so many things, you know, you can do the backhand pick, the backhand rake, uh, you can do the run through, you can do the slow roller. You can do the V cut, and but you make that guy's toolbox bigger so that he just gets downhill and feels that ball ever how he feels it. And at the end of the day, a ground ball, if you're getting it over there in that first base in a minute and four seconds, that's it. And and the key to, to and an infielder is getting that ball over to four seconds more times than not. That's right. And but again, so how is that happening? It could be something in the prep step that's going on that you as a coach forgot to teach on day one because you didn't dissect it down to that first step. So as far as development, um, all of our positions and all of our coaches and, you know, just because the buck stops here and I'm the head coach, I want to meet with each coach and let them tell me what they're doing. And I want them, I want to be okay with them telling, Hey, coach Brooks, this is why we're going to change this. Why we're going to do this, but I want them to be okay with, Hey, this is how I want that's done. You know? And, and again, at the end of the day, the book stops here and it's my job as a leader if there needs to be some changes i've got to make it happen 
or if there's something going wrong in the program, I think our job as, as head coaches, it's, it's our job to address that and, and not wait another day or another 30 minutes, or, you know, sometimes there are time and place to address some things, but, you know, um, so I just want to meet with them and make sure we're doing that. And, you know, I don't, the easy thing to do again is just to get the phone, go out and start hitting ground balls. And, but, but you're, you're a coach. And if you, if you're just doing that every day and, and reps has its place, uh, rapid fire ground balls and, that has its place in your training and your development, but you got to plan it out from square one and, and you got to have different ways for different body types to do some things, just like stealing a base. You know, I'm a short and stocky guy. So if I'm going to do the new school steal, I might need to get out there at eight feet so that on my shuffle or catapult or whatever you want to call it, it gets to 12 feet. Whereas a tall lanky guy, I can get it four and a half or five feet and his shuffle. He makes it at 12. Right. So, but if you're a coach, like, hey, you've got to do it this way. Well, guy's body's different. And, and if you understand movement, you got to be able to allow that toolbox to be a little bit bigger so that guys can accomplish the task. Now you're getting into in- internal and external cues. And most guys learn, like the Bernstein principle, most guys learn just by giving them a task and the body is going to organize and figure out a way to accomplish that task. Whereas another guy might be a visual learner. You might put it up on the board and show uh, an MLB player on how to do something. That guy can go out and perform it. we got a shortstop just like that. If he sees it, he can do it. we got a second baseman that needs to know the why, and he wants to know the why. He's very intelligent, and he wants you to know – you know, he wants to know – he wants that five feet, six feet landmark of where he needs to be and – and uh, we're, when we're doing the shift, he wants me to tell him. I tell he wants me to tell him. I want you seven steps behind second base back. Whereas my shortstop, if it's a right-handed pull hitter, then I'll just say, you know, right, right-handed pull guy, and he already knows because of a video that I showed him of Barry Bonds and how they did the shift and where the shortstop is. You know, so so that you got to figure out how guys learn the best, and some guys learn by seeing, by doing, by. By, and, and a lot of times the guys will learn by external cues. You give them, give them an external cue to, to go perform this task, and I think it's cool. Um, you know, Bush Chaffin, you know, he's, he's probably uh, one of my biggest mentors. Um, you know, he'll sit here and he'll tell a guy, you know, he throws a fastball 82. It's like, good. He goes, now let's throw that same pitch at 79. You know, because so many coaches are like, let's, let's throw 83, but, you know, and he's trying to get that guy to understand, you know, change of speeds and this is what it takes and how does that feel. And then you get into the effective pitch velocity just off the fastball of adding or subtracting six miles an hour just based upon the zones that you're throwing in. Now you got two different pitches. Yeah. So, uh, so, so this, the, the development is, is just, you know, as far as anything that we do is uh, starting young. You know, we, this, this year um, we've developed a program. Um, that uh, Jeff Sherman, uh, he helped me uh, kind of coordinate and develop. Um, he coaches out in Marcus High School out in Texas, and I talked with him what he's doing with his youth program, and he gave me some ideas. And for the last four Wednesdays, I've had Zoom calls with our youth coaches. Um, we're doing a free clinic Tuesday night for all of our youth. We're just going to send them in, ro- send them in fifteen different groups and rotate them for ten minutes at a station, and. Uh, just just come up with them a mastery plan for a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and the expectations that they want, telling them and showing them the Oxford way. And believe it or not, after the first two Zooms, that's all they wanted to know. They wanted to know, to know more about the Oxford way. 
and how we do things and how we teach things and how we talk about, you know, accountability and intensity and, and how we get on and off the field and how we measure things and what's our expectations. And that they wanted to know those things. So if I'm a coach and we got youth league in our city and I don't share um, what we're doing with our youth, I think there's a disconnect between the guy that plays youth baseball. Maybe he doesn't join a travel team and he's 11 years old and 90% of his buddies join a travel team and he's still playing in youth at the hard leagues at the, at the rec ball, uh, playing rec ball. And, and that, that coach doesn't really know a lot about the game. I think it's my job to teach that coach so that I can help grow the game. I can help uh, with his knowledge of the game of baseball, and I can help him teach his team. And uh, so and we've also built in some youth skills nights, uh, and I've even put it on the calendar for next February and March um, for like, you know, nine- and 12-year-olds coming in on Monday night. Uh, 11 and 10 year olds will come in on Tuesday night and then your 12 and 13 year olds come in on Wednesday night. And, and yeah, you might, it might be a little more long hours for us, but I think five or 10 years down the road, it, you know, we'll definitely be reaping the rewards of the benefits of being able to include those little skill nights. And even if it's just, if two guys show up, we're going to stay and work, you know, Monday might be coach, youth league coaches, send all of your pictures to us on Monday night. You know, that's a night, that's another night of the week that you don't have to work on pitching. Um, whenever you guys start practicing, you know, Tuesday night, send us all your middle infielders. And then me, my, my middle infielders and my infield coach will stay afterwards and, and work with those guys. Doing the free clinics and letting those youth coaches stand at a position. So many, so many youth coaches, they're, they're really concerned about their catching situation on their team. And uh, you, you think about all of the years that you've had a good catcher the season just flows good, you know, and then there's two years maybe out of your career that you had a bad catcher and just every pitch is a battle. Um, so, um, so you kind of showed them how, how we develop our guys, develop our pitchers and, you know, and, and then you, you're going back into developing the player and developing the man, you know, so inside of your middle infield drills, those coaches are having to talk about discipline and commitment and accountability, you know, as you're developing that stuff on the field. So, so that so that that kid understands, hey, this is a way of life, and 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 then as coaches, we got you know last last fall we come up with our academic fantasy baseball draft, and as coaches, we drafted our players. Nice. Um, we told them who their team was, but we didn't tell them like when we drafted them because you know you don't want them to know who, you know like when you draft them or whatever. But that was something cool that we came up with, and Coach Brackett's team won. And, uh, you know, so all the coaches will take out, like if he's got six guys on those six teams, 36 guys, six coaches, each guy drafts six guys, and then each coach took out a guy for dinner on the winning team. You know, so I thought that was pretty cool, something. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really uh, cool, man. And then, uh, you know, moving on into the fall, you know, we'll have some more socials where there'll be a Thursday after school. We'll go to a local restaurant that supports us a lot and just kind of eat appetizers and talk about leadership uh there's one year to where each player did a scouting report on next year's team and you'll be surprised at how some players they just go all out hey coach they got two lefties one of them's a soft lefty one of them's a power lefty they got so-and-so coaching he can't hit a curve and you'll find out a lot of stuff about guys that you didn't know like coach we cannot throw that guy fastball i don't care if it's 98 or 78 but we're, we're gonna spin it on you know you know so you just learn you know or hey coach this guy he has trouble with 
whatever. You know, he has trouble fielding bunts. This pitcher is a good left-handed pitcher, but he has trouble fielding bunts. So our guys kind of go all out. So one year we, we just each, each day went over three teams on our schedule throughout the fall on Thursday afternoons at a local restaurant. Each kid got up and talked about a scout report. And, you know, when if you go off to play in some national tournament or even if we host like we do, we'll host some teams from Missouri or Ohio and they'll come in and our guys, they have coached, they graduated two draft picks last year and they got one projectable top 10 round guy and he's probably going to pitch against us. And if he does, you know, so kind of gives them some ownership of doing that. And, sure, and, sure it does. And then, uh, and then, you know, we include our core values and principles and standards in that too. And, you know, we did it different each year, but very similar to the five to thrive uh, program that Brian Kane introduced, but we, we do ours a little different, but we, we'll still call it five to thrive just because there's five days a week. Uh, one, one year, the one year that we did have five seniors, oh, it was perfect uh, just because each senior had a day of the week. And right. this year we got eight seniors coming up. So I have to be creative and creating something. Maybe two guys will go each day and then a coach will go on the end on Friday or Monday. Um, we do the Friday 5 where we bring a copy in every Friday and he talks to our team about the core values at Oxford Police Department and how important that is. On Wednesday, we'll do some sort of SCA, uh, which, will, which will touch on our faith part of our pillars. And on Monday, we'll bring in some sort of leader in the community, whether it's a banker, a lawyer, or an administrator at our school, our athletic director, our principal, um, or the police chief might come in, you know, so we're trying to just show the, and then and then you got some ex ball players that are successful in the community now. And we got three or four pro players that are, you know, still playing ball or, or just got released that are kind of giving us that inexpensive experience of just being able to talk about what it means to have success and how do you go about your business on a daily basis and it gets a different perspective. So what we get out of that is we get, you know, that's the way of life, but also it gives that guy, he, he probably was thinking about becoming an FBI agent. And then he talks, he builds a relationship with that police officer. And then, and we get these guys to come and speak in their regular clothes. We don't want them to come in, you know, and we just want them to be like us and show them, you know, how we're just an average, you know, like Coach Brooks. I, I want our guys to know that I'm just an average guy and just coaching average players and we work our tail off and we have fun doing it. Uh-huh. Um, so it gives our guys a chance to go up and shake hands with that guy afterwards and maybe two or three of them will end up becoming police officers down the road because of maybe something that's said and, and it kind of relates to that player and one of our leaders in the community, if, you know, if maybe maybe he is a banker and maybe maybe five years from now or 10 years from now when that kid starts a family, he feels comfortable going to the local bank and sitting down and, and asking for a loan for a house, you know. So that's just kind of going back to selling the right ships as a coach. You know, we all are in, we all are wanting to win those championships, but we got to make sure we're building relationships and we're building those friendships and we're, we're teaching kids to play the the right way through sportsmanship, and we're we're building uh, good leadership through our program, and 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 we're showing as coaches and, and you know good followership and leadership, and you know just going back to selling those right ships, you know, and and that's that's the that's what I get out of it. Twenty years down the road, a, 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 one of my ex players will come to a game, could just come in the dugout and just say, okay, I see, I see, they're still doing some of the things, same things hmm. that we were doing back when. You know, we were playing. So, hey, when you were, um, when I was thinking, um, just during the same thing you're talking about, because you've seen, you know, you won the state championship in Alabama. What, what, what size is Oxford? At that time, we were 6A, uh, 6A in 2012, and that was the highest classification then. 
Then in like 2016, they our state created a 7A, which is the top 32 schools, and then the next 64 was 6A, and the next 64 was 5, and so on. But at that time, in 2012, 6A was that we only had six classifications, and that was the highest classification. Yeah, and, to, and then winning it, I guess, thinking about that team, because uh, what – are are those kind of things you're talking about? Do you did you see those things? I'm sure that that, that team probably felt like that. Let's say you kind know, of thing it's 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 funny that you ask that, and I I share this all the time. We were we won a state championship, and that was great. But it wasn't until 2014, two years later, that I realized that I could have taught that team so much more than just on the field stuff. Um, and so a kid comes up to me, um, like maybe we were in the second round in 2014. I think we won and ended up going to third round and ended up getting beaten the third round, but we had a conversation during practice somewhere around the second round and I was coaching them pretty hard and catcher had made a mistake. Or maybe some guy skipped, skipped some reps in the weight room and, and I, I had a big talk of pre-practice and I called the seniors up and I was like, I was like, guys. I said, uh, you, you think it's different this year? I mean, is the things going to change? Is, is, is something going to be different about our program this year? And the catcher raised his hand. He said, yeah, I think there is something different about this year, Coach. And I was like, well, what's different? And he's like, it's, you care about us a little bit more. I feel like you care about this team a little bit more than you have in the past. And that just goes back to, you know, that they don't care what you know unless you know that, that you care, you know. And that when that kid said that to me, I was like, um, I've got to figure out ways to get to these guys and not leave any stone unturned. So that year we started doing campouts with our teams and um, we started doing, uh, you know, Sunday night dinners and we started doing Tuesday night pancakes at an assistant coach's house. And um, like there's so many different things we did off the field. We had, we, st- we started building in our stud days with the players and we started celebrating birthdays and we had competition days. And so we just started kind of moving towards the person instead of the athlete. And we felt like when we made that move towards the person over the athlete, uh, they were buying in a little bit more because they could tell that we cared about them a little bit more. And I think it goes same, the same way in the classroom. If you don't have a good relationship with your students in your classroom, it's going to be tough to teach those kids. Um, you know, every now and then, like like to me, I, I, I have a lot of card tricks. And I'll show a kid a card trick. And then after I show the kid that card trick, he'll do anything I say because he wants to know that card trick. You know, so that's uh, so I used I, long, long time ago when I first started teaching, our, our school was shorthanded on math and I taught ninth grade algebra. And, man, I, those kids just did not want to do those word problems. <laughs> and I just – and uh, they weren't paying attention, and I just did a card trick one day in front of the class. And, and then after that, they were like, they were wanting to know about those word problems because I, I had something that they that they wanted. And and I think that was a turning point in my coaching career. Is, is um, so I would say probably in 2014 was the year. I don't even know how old I was six years ago, so I was 36. And uh, you know, so you know, we, we lost in the state finals in 09 and then we won a state championship in 2012. And then it was 2014 when I realized that, you know, you got to build the player, you know, cause they're going to spend four years in your program, but they're going to spend the next 60 years at the game of life. And 
if I was blessed to have these kids for four years, you know, what am I doing in those four years to, to help them the next 60 uh, when they become husbands, fathers, and bosses down the road? And, you know, that they're not going to know how to do first and third or, or, or they don't need, you know, how to cover bunk cover just when, you know, when somebody in your family's sick and you got to take care of them or maybe somebody in your family lost their job and, you know, you just got to grind and go out and work and figure out where your next meal is coming from and all that, you know, so hopefully there's something that they can learn the four years that they spent with us and, and help them six years down the road. But at the same time, hopefully those kids can do something in our program and leave a legacy of those standards and core values and principles of being held to a certain standard, leave a legacy of, Hey, that 2018 team did this. And, and when those kids have kids and maybe they start coming in our program or maybe 10 years down the road, they come back and see maybe something that they started, whether it's running the anvil and making you tough and signing your name on the anvil and we're still signing our name. Or maybe um, after the game as far as how we're cleaning up and they're like, okay, we started, we started cleaning up the public restrooms after our game that year and our guys are still doing it. So that's, that's when you leave your mark. You know, all of us have – you know, a bump or a bruise or a cut on our arm and, you know, or, and, and, you know, whether it's, we left our mark on the game or the game left our mark on us. So that's kind of, you know, what are we teaching as coaches to help these kids in those four years to carry on the next 60? But at the same time, what are, what did you do with your class, your baseball graduating class that made an impact and you left the program in better shape than it was when you got here as a freshman? So it's like a two-way street. And I think as long as we're communicating and saying those things, it becomes important. But if all I'm saying is hitting the ball in the gap, and that's all I say, or throwing that fastball on the black down the way, and that's all I say, then that's all that really becomes important to them. But there's so much more in the game of life. Um, and going back to the game knows, you know, I think, I think God, the game of baseball, and the game of life will reward you when – you are ready to be rewarded. And sometimes God, the game of life and the game of baseball is not ready to reward you with that state championship ring. Maybe you get there and you, and you get beat and you question the game of life. You question the game of baseball. You question God of why these things happen to you. And it could be two generations down the road to where because you went through that and you had a conversation with your grandkid and, 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 you know, so, and, or five years later you were in Omaha and you win that, or maybe, maybe you were cheating the game of life, the game of baseball or cheating God. And, and the game of baseball knew that if I give this reward to Wes at this moment, he didn't really earn it. So if I give this to him, he's going to think it's easy. So maybe I'm going to continue to make him work because maybe his shortstop didn't do his mandatory 50 after practice. He just kind of did 15 reps and left and went home. So that, and, and I kind of preach that to the kids. It's like, you know, guys, once you figure, you start to figure out the game of life and you start to figure out of playing the game the right way and you start to figure out uh, and understand that God's got a plan for your life and you're doing the right things, you're, you're being a witness and, you know, you're being the guy, you're being the um, person that, that we're – put on this earth to be, then every now and then you get rewarded, you know, and then that comes with confidence. And then that comes with the, the prayer of asking things in prayer. And like, you know, like if you're, if you're a confident player and you didn't cheat in your reps and you're doing things the right way, 
you're going to ask for some things because you feel like you deserve some things. If you're not, if you're cheating the game, you're probably not going to ask for something good, you know? So I just think the game of life and, and, and the game of baseball and, and God is, is going to reward you when it's ready to reward you. And that, and that goes into, you know, you got to have a little bit of luck, you know, to win a state championship. But at the same time, because that ball bounced, bounced six feet fair, or six feet foul or six inches fair, or six inches foul, you know, were you cheating the game? Were you playing the game the right way? Were you cheating the game of life? You know, it goes about the integrity and character when you're by yourself in your room and you maybe get a bad photo picture on your cell phone. What are you doing with those? You know, so all those things go hand in hand. And like, is this team, is this individual and is this team ready for this success in the game of baseball and the game of life, you know, at that moment, you know, yes, this team is ready because they are starting to figure out how to do the things the right way. And, 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 and I don't really call it luck anymore. I call it, you know, Hey, if you're doing things the right way, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, that ball's going to be six inches fair, you know, and, and, you know, cause so many things happen during a football, baseball or basketball national championship. And, you know, some people call it luck. Some people call it, man, it just wasn't your day or whatever. Well, you know, the game wasn't ready to reward them because they couldn't handle that success or, Hey, they were on the right track and, and the game of baseball was ready, ready to reward you that day. David Price is a good example about pitching for Vanderbilt. You know, I think he ended up losing a meaningful game and then he went out, I think might have, it might have been with the Devil Rays or something, you know, maybe, or with Boston or some, sometime along the way. And then he ends up calling uh, Coach Cords back and say, Coach, remember when you told me the game of baseball wasn't ready to reward me when I was at Vanderbilt, that last conversation we had, well, tonight the game of baseball rewarded me. So I thought that was a cool conversation there, and I kind of used that in talking to our guys about the game knows and playing the game the right way and, you know, and just you – know, but, again, like kids don't know what it means to play the game the right way. So I think as incoming freshmen, it's important that we teach them the game so that when we get out on the field, they know those things. And, if you know, what you're aware of, you can control. What you're unaware of, you cannot control. And – and so if, if you're never told on how to do things, you can't expect the kid to automatically know. Um, so some kids, sure. and that's, that goes a long way. You know, so you were talking like that earlier about just defining what that means, you know, defining those things, you know, yeah. having a part of your language, talking about every day and, you know, acknowledging those things when they do them things. Well, most coaches are just pretty, you know, getting on them when they don't do them, not necessarily mm-hmm. saying, Hey, this is what, it, this is what it looked like today. This is why this guy got it done today. This is what he was doing. So, and I've, I found a big difference in that, you know, being pointing out a lot of times when we get the things that we want. Mm-hmm. So, but man, we're, we're two hours into this rock and rolling, man. Like awesome. we're, it's already been two <laughs> hours. Uh, there's just so much more. So even, I, I mean, you're just seeing these scratching the surface, but mm-hmm. like if someone would want to like, cause like, I mean, shoot, I mean, I just reached out to you. I mean, I remember, I don't know if you remember the first time we met, we met in Anaheim uh, at the ABCA. Yeah. At, at Brian Kane's. Um, That's right. A little social. Yeah. Brian Kane's social. We got to see Ken Revisa. Yeah. We did that. That was, that uh, was amazing. That's what we were talking about. The penny beer, uh, penny bats. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> we think talking uh, about back in the day about doing the bats beat we've been doing. So we've been talking about. Yeah. Bats. We think yeah. About how many years that was. We did. You know, we, we, we there, you know, so much power and overload underload principle there and, and it can work in any, you know, the resistant stuff that we do in the weight room, we're overloading and we're underloading and, and, and the bat speed and, and throwing a baseball and, you know, overload, underload principles have been around since at least the 70s. 
Um, and that's just kind of, and, and in any aspect. So, um, but here's, here's what you get into as a coach. You find a new way to do things and you have a little bit of success. And then you think that new thing is the only reason you had that success. Well, it's not, it's, it's because some of the other things that you were doing along the way and you added that in there. Now you're experiencing some bat speed or arm speed or whatever. Then the next year, that's all you do. And then maybe it was the stretching or the, uh, corrective movements or the, the form running that you were doing as an athlete was helping, you know, combined with that. Um, I just think that's funny how as coaches, you know, we kind of just go all in on the next new gimmick. I think more so as a coach now, it's weeding out all the things you see on social media and find out what's going to work for you and your team and your program. Mm-hmm. But have, have that in your coaching toolbox because four years from now, you might have that type of player in which that skill or that video might help you as a coach help that player. But I think, I think sometimes maybe a couple of years ago, I got into the bad habit of trying to do everything with everybody. And, you know, when you try to do everything with everybody, 20% of the players are getting better. 20% of them getting worse. 20% are staying the same and 20% might be getting injured, you know? So like there's, um, you got to really understand nowadays there's more than one way to skin a cat and each player once they develop that level of mastery, let's go back in that toolbox and let's grab two or three more skills. Once they master that, let's get in that toolbox again. And then when they get up to be, you know, 18 years old, maybe they got a big toolbox, you know, and that's kind of what, you know, some guys' toolbox aren't as big and sometimes that's okay. Uh, some, some guys try to use every tool in the toolbox and some guys try to use the wrong tool in the toolbox. And some guys, some guys' toolbox as a coach, maybe, maybe this guy – likes it simple and he just wants one or two ways to do it. And that's it. That's all you got to tell him, but you give him this big toolbox. I think that's important as coaches is finding uh, these big concepts and, and making them very simple uh, and not having to say much to do it. I think sometimes as coaches, we get in the way more so than we help because we feel like we've got to say, you know, on how to do it. Sometimes it's good to maybe, just sit back and say yes and no and let the guy figure it out himself. You're even asking questions too. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's we, since 2014, we've done some really good things. Uh, went over to Mississippi state and, and, and we, we watched them practice and we stole a thing that we call Montgomery batting practice MVP and just the energy and the way we, there's so many moving parts to it. And, that's a that's an entire that's another podcast on yeah. its, on its own. We've talked and, about that a couple of times. Yeah, sure. that is. But yeah, if anybody's listening to wants to hear that, I'm sure. Speaking yeah. of, so like, let's say they wanted to get into that Montgomery. I mean, yeah. you have a ton of. What what would be the best way for them maybe to contact you to do that? You know, obviously on Twitter, Old Gold Sports. I think back. I don't even know what year I made that. I don't know. I think our school colors are Old Gold, and I just tagged the sports to it. And I started, I don't know, it might have been 2010, 11, 9, I don't know. I just started tweeting out scores at our games. Uh-huh. And and I got a lot of followers because back then, you know, everybody's like, well, I didn't go to the game. So I thought that was funny. You know, and everybody's like, why did you create Old Gold Sports now? It's like, I can't I think it was just because that was our school colors. And actually, <laughs> that was the year I think I, I became the director of football operations. And I wasn't really doing much at the game at that time. And all these 24-7 and rivals – they were like messaging me on Twitter asking for the score of the game, you know, nice. or who did what, you know, because we had a few SEC guys and 
uh, got a couple of NFL guys now. And I just think it was cool how, like, that was a way of communication nationally that, you know, that got started. And now it's just blown up. But, yeah, at Old Gold Sports on Twitter, private message me, and I will talk. Now, I'm a – I'm a, I'll burn some midnight oil. I'm a, I'm a night person, but I, at the same time, I get up early. I, I joke around to all my USA buddies, and I tell them I took a two-hour nap on Thanksgiving, and I plan to take about a 20-minute power nap on 4th of July, and that'll get me <laughs> back to that two-hour nap and sleep's overrated and stuff like that. But, yeah, uh, I got a Gmail account, wbrooksoh at gmail.com. So uh, you said wbrooksoh? W-B-R-O-O. K-S-O-H, all letters, O-H at gmail.com. Um, and, and you know, of course, I got a Facebook page as well. Um, but, yeah, any, any of those ways, uh, especially through email, um, I can't tell you uh, so many coaches have wanted our process-based scrimmage. And, and I think, you know, whether it was Brian Kane or, or – Adam Mosley at Hoover High School or Mississippi State or Clemson or wherever you get your stuff or or Coach Box, Chuck Box, he's putting out some good – wherever you get it, get that and make it your own. And our process-based scrimmage is totally different than it was when we first got it. I mean, it's – and we've made it our own to fit our philosophy. You know, our pitchers pitch with fast tempo. And the next – you know, and five years go by, now, now we control our own tempo. And we got a NASCAR – bullpen and we got a we're actually controlling the pace of the game with how slow we're going in our bullpens and those things are measured as well and um and that's got so so much moving you know, I, I also, one thing i remember about your um process based scrimmage was alpha at bats yeah okay so we threw a little matt deggs uh stuff in there and uh that year because alpha at bats are important in it and really okay leadoff guy you're either trying to get him out or he's trying to get on base so I think that needs to be an individual practice on its own of guys, all your guys being leadoff guys, like where your four hole guy, he's going to be a leadoff guy at some point. So he needs to understand because, you know, leadoff guy gets on, he scores 80% of the time, the guy scores first, he went 80% of the time. All right. So now the leadoff guy is on. Okay. So think, figure out ways to get him to second and figure out ways to get him to third um, and, and get him to second with, you know, get him to second with no outs and get him to third with less than two outs. And then as hitters, you know, driving those guys in when they're in scoring position, whether they're on second with no outs and one out or, or on third with no outs and one out. And what is the mindset? And then when you can get your coaches, and this is something I did two years ago that I thought was great. Uh, you know, we got our big five, you know, score first, extend the lead, you know, big inning, answer back, finish. We got that. We got our process based scrimmage. We got our freebies we keep up with. So I met with our parents, I met with our booster club, I met with our diamond dolls, and I taught them our process-based scrimmage, I taught them our big five, I taught them our freebies, and the next thing you know, the crowd is going nuts when we get on base on a, by way of a freebie. Next thing you know, we've got the little president of our student section with a stopwatch timing us to see if we're getting off the field at a certain time. And they're keeping up with it on the little Sharpie in the stands and Nobody knows, but they know it. And then, like, I'll, we'll give a reward, a T-shirt, a hat. or a matter of fact, one year we gave a $50 bill to the, to the loudest student section guy. We, we were so loud, which is cool. You know, we do the decals. We, we, got, some, we got a decal system. We give rewards to our players. But it was um, – it's so cool that, you know, our players pitching with tempo and then the batter calls time because our pitchers are working so fast. 
um, you know, usually that upsets the pitcher and he's like, ah, oh, you know, Mr. Blue, why don't you give him time right there? Well, our guys are pointing the dugout. Like that's a decal coach, you know, so we kind of turn a negative feeling, a negative emotion situation into a positive because, you know, and then sometimes when we go so fast that the umpire has to call time, because why would an umpire call time? Because you're working so fast. They're not getting paid by the hour. They're getting paid by the game and, the, and summer's hot or it's cold or whatever. So why would you call time for a pitcher working so fast? Right. So we feel like we have to be working so fast that the umpire is not ready and he's calling time. Well, we think that deserves two decals. <laughs> and I just think it gets in the hitter's head that, you, you know, you know, don't give that hitter time to think uh, about what's going to happen on the next pitch once you go hard in, knowing we're going to go soft away. And 90% of high school hitters think about the last pitch and, you know, so we try to work so fast and not let them get that time to think about what's going on. And then when the umpire gets involved, I'm not saying they're on our side, but by the rule, you know, the umpires, you know, one pitch is supposed to, one pitch is supposed to be made every, you know, 12 or 15 seconds and the batter's supposed to stay in the box. And if we can get that umpire to buy, and I think a lot of umpires enjoy coming to call our games because our games go by so fast. Mm-hmm. We get on and off the field. We, you know, we, when we get on the field, we got to do certain things at each position in 60 seconds in order to win that moment. And I say, you know, you just teach kids about winning pitches. When everything is being measured, then you're winning pitch. You're either winning or losing, you know. And then, so, and then you're throwing one pitch every 12 seconds, and that's measured. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's an hour and 25 minutes and the game's over. And umpire's like, dang, I got time enough to go out to eat. And That's right. You know, as opposed to a three-hour and 15-minute game, it's long and both guys, umpires got a tight zone and, and pitchers are taking their time, coaching are making mound visits, players are calling time, and it's just long and forever. We like to kind of control the tempo now. Before, we would just ultimate super-duper fast. But now we, <laughs> we kind of go. We're going to yeah. control it. You know, I went, I went a little Ken Revisa and then I just kind of did, did everything that we've been doing. And then you talk with different guys and you get up different ideas, but you still do, we still do a lot of Brian King stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, but then, you know, I'm sitting here right, you know, an hour and a half in Tuscaloosa and Nick Saban and what they do at Alabama. And, you know, so just kind of combine everything of what, and, and then there's some, you know, some guys go against the grain, you know, some guys, some guys want to put, the outcome a little bit higher than the process and it sure. works for them, you know? Right. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah, I figured who was just talking about the sheets was talking about that, you know, yeah, like, yeah, it's right. just, it's just what, you know, so, and it works for them. So, you know, that's it's right. hard to do it I again. started out doing a 365 day year and I got from June and I think got, I got to August and yeah. that was it. We so maybe the, we, we can go from fall. September yep. and, and actually I do got a 365 day, uh, plan picture pictures plan in a perfect world. You know, with because you know, like to me, if a senior has not signed, he needs to still throw in September and October. But maybe our freshman that pitched all summer, maybe his downtime needs to be September, October. So I kind of went away from that, but I still have that as a foundation. I'm a big believer that you got to have that foundation. And here's a good story, and I'll finish with this you got to have a great foundation because if something's going wrong on the 19th floor and <clears throat> you got a good foundation, you can go up to the 19th floor and fix that. But if something's going wrong on the 19th floor and you got a bad foundation, then there's a chance that you might have some mass destruction going on there because it's gonna you're gonna have more problems down there on the foundation. Oh, and that's sure. in the mental game, that's peak performance, that's baseball, that's catching, hitting, pitching, classroom, weight room. You gotta have a good foundation just about whatever you believe in. And then once the kids master that foundation, then they're ready to go off and make their toolbox a little bigger.
Yeah, that's I, and that's it's funny that so that's since the last time we really got into really talking shop, that's something that's kind of changed with you. Yeah, you know, and you kind of touched base about the foundation. Mm-hmm. You know where that was separate from the mission. That's know, right. Or, that's you right. know, like it was it was something that that's what I've seen change in you. You know, since mm-hmm. the last time mm-hmm. that kind of we've talked shop and went over the MVP process and went over. Oh yeah. Now we still do all that, you know, uh, we still create our mission, but I'm going to do four straight years and I'm not going to ask our coach. I'm just going to go with what, what are our, what are our core values and principles and our standards this year for the next four years. And you're starting that this year. I'm starting that this year. We actually already started it. And uh, the, the only thing that I, that I haven't met with our coaches about is I think our mission is too long. And I think it needs to be very simple, like eight words or something, whereas mine's like two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. So I just want it to be like eight words and then, you know, five or six, you know, like, like I said, we got five standards and, you know, three pillars and, you know, one mission, you know, our vision can be like three individual goals, three team goals, you know, just very much simple, you know, and let's do simple better, you know? Yeah. So I've kind of went away from all of the things I used to do because I think we get into doing too much and we get lost in it. So I think if we can simplify it and go four straight years and hit it hard, and then that kid has had that experience through four straight years, but we were do, we were changing our words and changing our one word focus and change. It needs to be a stamp of what we are for four years. And then after four years, maybe we can look at it and see what needs to be changed. Yeah. I, am getting out, I think I'm getting that way too in myself. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's I'm, I'm like, I know that I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying it all. And like, That's right. you were my guy. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. This guy's like me. Like, he tries it all. Like, yeah. we, we get everything. And that's right. You know, and just, I was ended up doing too much and wasn't hanging on to the important stuff. Like, there's, there's times, and I wrote it down right here, that there's some things that everything happens twice. You know, I think that's something that I spent like three weeks on, whereas I could have just touched on it one or two days. And bumped over. Then there's some more years to where where our team is. I might need to spend three weeks on everything happens twice, and we might spend just like one week on elite mindset and move on. You know, um, so I think it's just kind of you you self evaluate at the end of the year, figure out where your next year's team is coming from, and you try to hit that. And you don't really try to force it because it's it's something that's created over time. And, but, but if you're not trying to do anything at all, it can go south quick in three days. If you don't touch on it in three days, it's going south. Three days. I remember that. I was like, and oh, and was another, like another thing I've learned in 20 years is do not do the same practice back to back days. I don't know why. Just a second day is, <laughs> and unless you know, unless you learn about, Hey, we're going to learn it today and we're actually going to do it tomorrow. But you, you go, you have an amazing practice and you get in that complacency mode i'm just going to go to bed tonight i'm going to go plan tomorrow's practice we're going to do the exact same thing and the next day 20 minutes in it's it's haywire and i don't know why but if you wait two weeks or wait another week and put it in again it's it's well machine so it's kind of weird i don't know that's just me yeah no that's good advice so coach this has just been amazing like you're just a a rock star an absolute dude of a coach man man, i want to do it again i really do i really do i want to do it again The Better Man, Better Ball Player podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Coach Wes Brooks. Again, if you would like to reach out to Coach, Coach Brooks can be found on Twitter at Old Gold Sports. 
That's his Twitter handle. Feel free to reach out to him or as well as email him at wbrooksoh at gmail.com. No, whatever, a ton of information. Uh, great things like Montgomery batting practice are a great thing to reach out to him about. Uh, everything that he does uh, with his process-based scrimmages are great to reach out to him. Anything he does with his core principles, how he teaches them, how he manages them, how they play the game is great things to just even pick his brain even more about. Uh, I've learned a tremendous amount from Coach Brooks. I'm really thankful for the relationship that we have ever since that time in Anaheim when we got to sit and talk about Penny Bats and Brian Kane and, and got a chance to meet him. So uh, he's a tremendous, tremendous coach. Couldn't recommend him even more. Again, I want you to thank you. I hope you can share this episode. Appreciate you sticking with us this long. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Have some valuable things to take away. So please share it and keep getting better.